VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right. And good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Friday, August the 12th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams producing the come out with it edition of Open Line here on this fairly gray overcast day in the St. John's metro region. So we're looking forward to speaking with you. You know we are. If you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue. 2735211 or elsewhere it's toll free long distance 1888590VOCM which is 8626 So here we see week 1 of the Canada Summer Games winding down more medals to report fantastic opening week for team NL especially in the pool way to go swimmers Chris Weeks his third medal of the games he won a silver in the men's 50 meter freestyle race last night that's he's got 3 to contribute to our total of 8 Two more swimmers who are uh, now adding to their total with their second medals each. Nathan Luscombe and Thomas Pelly both won silver medals. Last night, Nathan won in the, pardon me, the silver in the men's 50-meter free. It's a multi-class para S114 race. And Thomas Pelly won silver in men's 50-meter freestyle race. Congratulations to all. Boy, oh boy, the swimmers are carrying the day. And safe travels to all of the week two participants heading to Niagara. Uh, last little mention for Jada Lee for anyway for today. So someone asked me when she's p- throwing up the ceremonial first pitch in the Jays game. It's Saturday, and they're playing Cleveland, and the game is 4.30 island time. So a nice early opportunity to watch Jada Lee throw out the pitch. And she goes on to say she's going to throw a real pitch. So you see so many people are asked and uh, offered to do and to throw out the first pitch. They don't stand on the mound because unless you're used to throwing from the rubber, it is a different sort of approach to throw a baseball but Jay is going to get up there toe in on the rubber and let it fly <laughs> no doubt as she absolutely should I don't know if you're watching the world juniors I love hockey more than anything else but I haven't really been drawn to flicking it on I'm watching tennis so Canada 2-0 they beat the Slovaks yesterday 11-1 four goals for Mason uh, McTavish but uh, see if I can get in a bit of hockey gear here so I can watch it especially if we make it into the gold medal game and of course we probably will Sticking with hockey, I really like what the St. John's Junior Hockey League is doing. So they changed the name of the President's Trophy to remember and to celebrate the contributions made by Jerry Taylor. So now it's the Jerry Taylor Trophy. Same thing they've done now in creating a new award for the Executive Member of the Year. It's going to be named after Bernd Hoban, the late Bernd Hoban. So it's the Bernd Hoban Award. It's going to come into play this coming season, the 2022-23 season. Byrne was a giant in minor and amateur hockey. Uh, Absolute stalwart in the rink. The amount of energy and effort and time he put into the game is extraordinary. So rightfully being recognized by naming this new Executive Member of the Year Award after the late, great Byrne Tobin. Okay, let's get into it. So yesterday the big news, if you can call it big news, is a campaign launched by the province called Rethink Your Drink. Right? It's a precursor to the tax on sugary drinks that's going to be applied on the 1st of September. It's being called a tax grab far and wide. Of course, the province will tell you that they've got support from a variety of groups, Canadian Cancer Society and others, pediatrics groups, okay. Look, There is absolutely no problem with encouraging healthy lifestyle, healthy habits, healthy diet, including what we drink. But this is not washing with the general public, by and large. You know, the concept is, if it's based in healthy lifestyle, 
and the province will lean on that in full. But they're even forecasting to make some $9 million on this sugary tax, 20, per, 20 cents per liter. Lots of confusion reigns supreme out there. Couple of things. So inside that raising $9 million, the province talks about those monies going towards school programs like Kids Eat Smart, School Lunch, the Physical Activity Tax Credit, Infrastructure, Healthy Lifestyle Programs. But if I'm not mistaken, during the debate in the House of Assembly, the monies coming in the door from this new tax would be to create new programs and policies, not to fund existing ones. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there. The Retail Council of Canada, other retailers, distributors, manufacturers, they still don't have all the details they need to put it in play because it's not just as simple as making adjustments to the cash register. There's advertising and price point and competition because the government doesn't set the price of the pop. The retailer does. So if they still have questions, September 1st is right around the corner. It's about time they are up to speed so they can prepare for. And then the big question will be whether or not it changes people's purchasing behaviors. Read a bit about it in other jurisdictions yesterday. Mexico, Chile, Portugal, the UK, parts of the United States. With mixed results. People make it very flippant when they say, well, simply avoid the newly taxed product and drink water. That's easy enough to say. I appreciate a cold glass of water. But when you look around the province, it's not as simple as that. What is there, upwards of 200 boil order advisories? So just drinking water is a little bit of a throwaway, even though it makes sense. And drinking healthier options makes sense. Then there's the conversation about picking winners and losers. Can governments get in the business of exactly that. Taxing what they deem to be unhealthy versus subsidizing what they deem to be healthy, and who gets to make that determination? People still wonder whether or not they understand what the tax is gonna be applied to. So here's some of the basics. The tax will indeed be applied to many of the ready-to-drink, concentrated, and dispensed beverages. Just think about how many of these ready-to-drink beverages have been made by the NLC. That alone. It's truly remarkable. We talk about the volume of alcohol being consumed in this province, and when we're talking about healthy living, healthy lifestyle choices, boy, those ready-to-drink uh, beverages coming from the NLC? Hmm, okay, we can take that. The tax will be applied to bottled soda, pop, sports and energy drinks, fruit-flavored drinks, frozen concentrated juices, flavored powders, syrups, soda fountain drinks, and slushies. Here's some exemptions. Diet beverages, 100% natural fruit juices and vegetable juices, ingredients that are primarily used in cooking, and beverages prepared for the consumer at the point of sale. Coffee shops is the example. Alcoholic beverages, medical and therapeutic beverages, milk, including chocolate milk, and yogurt beverages, beverages in containers with less than 75 milliliters, and fortified plant-based drinks are also exempt from the tax. Alcoholic beverage, and we'll talk about healthy lifestyle. It's, a, it's an interesting exemption, but I suppose, considering it's a government monopoly, why would they jeopardize their own revenue stream on that front? Oh, or they could absolutely take the, the eventual approach to looking at what that volume of consumption really means. If we're talking about health, overall health, obesity, chronic illness, presenting to the healthcare system, emergency rooms, and otherwise, but we can take it on from whatever angle you see fit. But, the, you know, there's some predictable pushback here. You know, opposition parties, and that's their, their duty, their role, to take government to task. It looks like that debate in the House of Assembly with the creation of new policies isn't still part of the government playbook on this particular 20%, 20 cents per liter tax on what they call a sugary beverage. Some of the diet beverages aren't great for you either. 
You know, if this has the outcome, and there's even conversations about the disproportionate effect it would have on low-income earners. For instance, in Mexico, when they applied it, in the, I think it was in 2014, by 2016, they th saw a 37% de decrease in the purchase of those taxed sugary products. They go on further investigation and evaluation that it absolutely did disproportionately hit low-income households. So that has to be considered as well. You want to bring forward your thoughts on it? Because I see a lot. 90% of what I see on it is reference to tax grab, cash grab. If it works and the intended outcome and people find alternatives, and yes, it's easy enough to say just drink water, and even some of the better alternatives are also pretty expensive. So if you couldn't afford a better or so-called healthier alternative before September 1st, you can't afford one after September 1st either. So anyway, you want to take it on, we can do it. All right. In the maddening, dizzying world of the price of gas and the adjustments of overnight, gas up across the board, 8.8 .8 cents. You know, market conditions and da-da-da-da-da-da. Look, if we are reacting appropriately, but what I find most interesting about it is this interruption formula, of course, it's been on the books for quite a long time, but it is a go-to mechanism as of late. When we even hear other gas, price of gas prognosticators, they're also confused with the formula being applied by the PUB. It's fine and dandy for us to now be told by the minister responsible, Sarah Studley, that they'll have to be more transparent, walk us through their thought process as to why the price of any of the fuels goes up or down. As Boyd Merrill says, just knowing the recipe doesn't make the cake taste any better. But gas up 8.8 cents again for all hands. No change in the other price of fuels. Stick with cost of living related matters for a moment. We know that inside the G20, the G7, we pay way too much for our cell phones in particular. Even internet at your home. And now, based on a proposal by TELUS, one of the big three telcos, that they proposed to the regulator, the CRTC, that's the, Canada, the Canadian Radio, Television and Telecommunications Commission, they're looking for permission to add 1.5% uh, surcharge to your bill if you pay with a credit card. It could, if approved, be in place as soon as October. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot, but the surcharge is also applied before any of the additional taxes like GST or HST. So... Man, talk about maddening and dizzying. On top of paying too much already, now because of their additional charges, here's the quote coming from them. This fee helps us recover a portion of the processing costs we incur to accept credit card payments, and the average cost will be about $2 for most customers, 2 bucks too much, adding that it will be easily avoided by paying through a bank via debit transaction or other means. Spare me. Sometimes people use their credit card to pile up points for whatever sort of program your credit card is associated with, your WestJet MasterCard, or whatever you do in your Avion Royal Bank card. People like to do it if they have the wherewithal to be able to pay their balance at the end of each month. So you may indeed incur additional business operational costs because I choose to use my credit card to pay your extraordinary and exorbitant telecom bill. Maybe, just maybe, you can deal with that in-house. We already pay you too much. So that's just another ding coming our way. You want to talk about it. Let's go. All right. Moving on to the world of some criminal justice matters. And this is not a story, again, to make everyone scared and looking over your shoulder at every purchase being made in any electronic store. But the, uh, the advent of the 3D printer, it's cool. 
it's cool. They can do some really cool stuff with a 3D printer. Unfortunately, they can also print guns. Ghost guns. This is not just a fairy tale told elsewhere or on television or on Law and Order. It's real. It's happened right here in this province. And it is simple to do. While governments grapple with gun control measures, and you know my stance on how the liberals have approached it, you know, more of a focus on what weapons belong on a banned list and then a summer season handgun import ban versus what we all really need for public safety is a keen focus on investment at the border where the illegal handgun trade leads to public safety-related matters. And we know it, and so does the government. But anyway, they choose to do it in a bit of an arse-backwards setup. But now these ghost guns. So... What can actually happen out there is extraordinary. Once again, I'll abuse that word one more time. It's easy to buy whatever you need, the barrel, the slide, the magazine, and you can acquire them online legally without a firearms license. Now, once you assemble the weapon, the gun, then you become a firearm manufacturer and owner, which requires a license and a registration certificate. But how many of the at-home ghost gun printers are going to go that extra step and get the appropriate permits in place? It's happening all the time. There was just uh, an arrest made, a fellow in Montreal, who had randomly shot three people and killed them. He was using a ghost gun. The police have confiscated ghost guns here in this province. You know, for the ability to go online and get a tutorial about how to make a bomb and how to make a plastic gun with your 3D printer, there's something patently wrong with that stuff. So while we talk about government overreach and intrusion into my freedom of speech and what constitutes hate speech and what should not, should not be available for all curious or inquisitive eyes online, tutorials on how to make a bomb and a ghost gun, probably not in our collective best interest. I'm working in a freedom of speech gig. I'm all about it. But some things are just really brutally harmful. So how are they going to grapple with this ghost gun business? I have no earthly idea. You want to talk about it? Let's go. Also, see the story that the Serious Incident Response Team has released their uh, report and the investigation into allegations of sexual offenses involving RNC officers in St. John's. The basics are there was five potential incidents identified through files provided to them by the RNC. A sixth in the incident was referred to them by a local lawyer. They say only one of the incidents rose to the standard requiring criminal investigation, but the victim in this case refuses to cooperate and so consequently there will be no further action. Mike King, the leader at the CERT group, he says that all the while there was some investigation done by the RNC, the officer was questioned, he claimed any interaction was consensual, the woman had offered to perform oral sex, but through the jigs and the reels that officer resigned from his position. It was an informal resolution. Mr. King, in conclusion, states that the allegations in each file, if true, display a disturbing pattern of the officer using his position to solicit sexual favors from women in St. John's. However, King says, without the victim participating in an investigation, they do not have enough to lay charges. You know who wants to weed out these criminals inside the ranks of law enforcement? The good cop, the professional cop, the determined cop, the civic-minded cop. They want this more than anybody else. Well, I mean, I, we all certainly want it. I would imagine those of you listening to the program, myself and Dave Williams included here this morning, but whatever we call the quote-unquote good cop, the professional cop, the community-minded cop, they need these people gone away because they've tarnished the badge and the uniform they wear and not enough uh, information to lay charges. We should try to talk to Mike King soon uh, if he has time. He's 
so inclined. All right, looks like the fires are trending in a positive direction. The firefighters will have boots on the ground fighting it again today. The fire, the Paradise Lake one, has shrunk a little bit. The highway remains open. The smoke is not too bad, but again, I'm not there. For those of you in the region who want to take it on and give us an idea what's happening where you live, we'll do exactly that. How are we doing on the phone, Dave? Let's get her going. We're on Twitter. Where are VOCM Open Line? Follows there. Our email address is openline at VOCM.com. Oh, here's a good one. Someone sends along this particular one. No doubt sugary drinks aren't great for one's health, but the World Health Organization and a load of research shows links between processed meats, bacon, salt, beef, salami, etc., and various cancers. If they're class 1 carcinogens. Likely a more serious dietary choice in the now, but I don't see a bucket tax. And the picture is, of course, a bucket of, you can guess it, jigs, dinner, salt meat. That's, I think, an interesting point to make because if it's about healthy lifestyle and encouraging a change in your habits and behaviors when you go to the shop, is this just the beginning? Will government be fully involved in picking winners and losers based on what I like, what I eat, what I drink? I don't know. That's an interesting post made by this person. Uh, our email address is openlineatvocm.com. My favorite is when you join us live in the queue on the air, but let's get a tune going before we come back and speak with you. Today in history, 1966. At the top of the charts, great summer tune by Love and Spoonful. It was summer in the city, but I chose to go another way. It's also a bit more of a groovy vibe. Uh, reaching the top 20 was Donovan with Sunshine Superman. When we come back, we're speaking with you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's get her going on the top of the board. Line number one. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Welcome back to the show. Let's get her going. Welcome to the show. You're on the air. Line number one. Good start. Will I uh, put him on hold, Dave? What do you say? Yep, that's what I'm doing. All right, let's go. Line number two. Take a morning to Craig Pollitt, who's retiring from his role as the CEO at Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador. Good morning, Craig. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. How about you? Uh, not too bad. Like, as I normally am when I chat with you, I'm having a cup of tea and enjoying my morning. So, Life is good. It is, but... Craig, I think it's 20 years you've been at MNL. Why now choose to step away? A uh, couple reasons. MNL is in a really good place. Like as an organization, it's in a good place. We got amazing staff. Uh, you know, financially we're secure. Like we we came through a really difficult time with COVID, as did everybody, but we've come out of it in a, in a good spot. Um, there's a bunch of big policy issues that we've been working on for the last 10 years around fiscal framework, around regionalization, around new legislation um, that are either wrapped up or about to be wrapped up or maybe moving to a brand new phase. But we're at a point where these things, you know, the, the trajectory I've been working on is sort of coming to a close. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 54 years old and I've always wanted to do something else beyond MNL, sort of after MNL, before I sort of officially retire and kick back in the backyard with a glass of wine. Um, so I figured this is this is my opportunity. The organization's in a good position. There's some new long-term projects that need to be started. So it's a good time for a new person to come in and sort of make those projects their own. And I still have a window of opportunity to do something new and interesting, you know, like I said, before I officially leave the workforce. 
Craig, how does the transition look like? Because someone like yourself who's been so hands-on, so intimately involved at every level of developing the program, seeing them through, lobbying or advocating mm -hmm. with and for government, how does the transition look? Because MNL's in a good place, and I imagine, of course, your hope is that it remains in a good place and continues to grow and to <laughs> advance. So how does the transition yeah. look? Because you're, you're big shoes leaving behind. Well, uh, thank you for that. But the transition started quite a few years ago, actually, maybe four or five years ago. Um, the board of directors and myself sat down and said, yeah, we really need to look at our organizational structure. And we did that. We had a consultant come in and sort of help us understand where we needed to go. So a few years ago, we created two new positions at MNL. Uh, one is director of programs, and Mr. Bradley Power is our director of programs, and the other is director of advocacy, and Dr. Dietra Walsh, who's been on your show. Uh, Brad Power, you probably know, was associated with the regatta, was president of the regatta committee for quite a while. Both those folks have been in those positions for a few years now, and that was intentional in terms of succession planning, so that when I leave, when any uh, CEO leaves, that there's institutional memory there. And those two folks um, are fantastic. They're, they're just amazing at what they do. So that part of the succession planning started quite a while ago. Um, what's happening now, that's been in place for a few years. They know the organization as well as I do at this point. So now it's just a matter of doing a proper recruitment process. So the board is working with uh, Knightsbridge Robertson Surrett and there's going to be there'll be material coming out on that, but there's a a several months long recruitment process now that will start to get a new CEO because it's MNL is not the organization it was in 2001 when I started. It's a much bigger, more complex organization now. So we need that recruitment process to be pretty thorough. What do you mean by recruitment for human resources or no for the CEO position? Oh, just simply to replace you. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm available. Shh, just between me and you. Okay. Let's yeah, there you go. Uh, let's keep the conversation going. And I know this has got off to a bit of a rocky start, whether it be about the inclusion or lack thereof with representatives of local service extras and what have you. Whether or not people like it or want it, the concept of collaboration and cooperation, regionalization, county system is coming for a variety of reasons. May, maybe it'll be yeah. about the lack of economies of scale, the aging population, dwindling population in some parts of the province so getting out in front of it and doing it right will make it not only less chaotic but make it more positive for all hands involved how would you like the conversation to now be structured because I hear more bad about it than I do good well I think the fact that the conversation is happening is the most important part uh, we worked with the province on the uh, recommendations that came out uh, you know, a while ago uh, back in February, I think it was. Seems like quite a long time ago now. And I don't think anybody expected that those recommendations would just be adopted carte blanche. Uh, and we said in the report, actually, several times that a lot more consultation needed to happen, in particular with Indigenous communities and, um, and other places that aren't municipalities. But the fact is, so there's, you know, the fact that there's debate happening and that it's not just MNL talking about this now, 
to me, that's a massive win. This is a, a public policy discussion that's happening right now. People are engaged. Sometimes people get engaged in these things because they see something good in it that they want to to help move along. Sometimes people get engaged because they see a problem with it and they want to make sure that doesn't happen. Whatever the reason, people are talking about it, and that's a good thing because for the last 20 years, we have not been talking about it, and we are suffering because we haven't been talking about it. Um, there's no future for the municipal sector without regionalization. There just isn't. The math just doesn't work. Um, there's no future for quite a few communities unless we come to grips with, if not a formal regionalization structure, some way to make sure that municipalities and other communities can work with each other more effectively. I mean, we are quite obviously running out of councillors. Just, I'm just going to talk to the municipal sector. We're running out of people to sit on council seats. Every year, election numbers are going down. Uh, every year, after year two or three of a term, we start to see letters coming into the minister looking for permission to operate without a quorum, which means they can't maintain more than a couple people on council. Um, councils are having a hard time finding staff. Councils don't have enough staff because they can't afford them. Three quarters of municipalities have one staff person, and normally that one staff person is part time. And yet, these municipalities are responsible for hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars of infrastructure. They don't have enough revenue, and, and we've made we've actually made progress on that in the last ten years or so. Back in 2015, we got 25 million dollars more into the revenue stream for municipalities, uh, but that's not enough. We've got billions of dollars of infrastructure that needs to be upgraded or replaced across the province right now. And we don't have the money to do it. We don't have the money. The province doesn't have the money. Even with federal support, we don't have the money. So we've got to come to grips with how we're going to manage all that. Towns don't have sufficient technical support. Very few towns. I mean, land use planners, incredibly important to what your community is going to look like in the future. There's a handful of them that are employed within municipalities across the province. And there's a real issue, I've always said, and I maintain to this day, there's a real problem in terms of uh, power and influence. You know, we have all these municipal leaders across the province who are busting their butts to try to make life better for their residents in their communities. But when it comes to political power, it's the provincial government that holds all the cards. There's 270-plus municipalities. Most of them are very small. Uh, they don't have that kind of influence with the province. Until the municipal sector wraps its head around the fact that when you come together in a region, you actually have power now. You actually have the ability to influence decisions that affect your community and your residents. Um, that's, that is the future. We are outside of Prince Edward Island in the, the modern sort of Western form of democracy, we are alone in that we don't have a regional approach to this, absolutely and utterly alone. And there's a reason for that. It's the wrong way to do it. We should be doing it regionally. It, it might be an emotional conversation, but it also has to be a, demands a pragmatic conversation because the numbers are real. The track that we're on is obvious. And so let's hope that we can get through it and make meaningful change because change is coming and change is hard. But whether a lot people like it, it's going to happen. So we either do it right. We remove the chaos and we see where we can go. And it's not going to be and one size fits all, which makes it tricky. No. 
Exactly. And the solution doesn't have to be what Craig Pollitt just said. The solution could be anything. But, man, if we're not working towards a solution that involves regions making decisions, whatever that ends up looking like, we're in serious trouble. Craig, I always appreciate uh, you making time for the program over the last number of years. From where I sit, uh, municipalities of Newfoundland and Labrador has grown. Their impact has been more important and has been uh, held a bigger amount of clout. I think a lot of that probably has to do with you and your role. So I'm not going to get you and ask you, you know, what you're most proud of or your legacy or what have you. <laughs> but thank you very much for always making time, being very generous with us. Congratulations on a great run. Thank you very much, sir. And I want to thank you for always being so open to hearing our message and to having an actual conversation. Because I'm telling you, in this day and age with social media, conversations are a dying art. And I appreciate your openness and your willingness to push back, but also your willingness to, to listen. I really appreciate it. Thanks for this, Craig. Take good care. You too, man. Take care. All the best. Bye-bye. It's Craig Pollitt. Retiring as the CEO of MNL. All right. That's a good one. Craig has done good work. And, of course, some of these things, you know, again, change is tough. Change is hard to wrap your mind around. We've had conversations with leaders from uh, local service districts, for instance, who are completely opposed or don't have enough details to even make up their mind about what they think about cooperation, collaboration, regionalization, county system, whatever. But let's have those chats. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll retry on line number one. There's a caller there who wants to talk about the PUB. That's lots of acronyms. CEO, MNL, PUB, PDQ. Don't go away. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Welcome back. Let's try again. Line number one caller, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yeah, number one, I'm on now. You're on now. Okay, couple of things. Turn down your radio if you don't mind so it doesn't shag us up. Yeah, it won't shag me up. Well, it probably will, but uh, okay, let's go. What's on your mind this morning? Uh, The radio shagging you up. Take a second, turn it down, and let's try this again. I've got to hang up, okay. You're going to hang up? I think so. I'm waiting 15 minutes now. I just want to say hello to him and ask him what to do. Okay, well, you're on now, and I tried to, you were the first call that I tried, but you didn't answer. Okay, so what's on your mind? Go ahead. Go ahead, okay. I'm going ahead. Fire away. Okay. Hello. Last chance. Hello? Hello. Dave, I'm putting her on hold. Can you pick up the phone and tell her to turn down the radio? Because nobody but nobody can avoid being shagged up by that delay. Let's go to line number four. Ray, you're on the air. (laughs) I was listening to this phone call, and now... uh, (laughs) My mind got uh, kind of taken off of my conversation. Uh, with our cable TV, uh-huh. uh, we pay in advance, of course, every month for our services. And if it isn't paid by, I think it's the fourth of the month, then we get a late charge fee. So, in fact, we're getting a late charge fee for a service that we haven't even got yet. Just one moment. So you pay in advance? Like when I pay my bills, if I, if I pay a bill today, it would have been for likely my July bill. So how do you mean that you pay in advance? How does that work? Well, like you don't get the service until first you pay for the bill and then you get the service for the 30 days. So 
you, you, you don't have your service yet, but you've got it paid in front. You'll get your, your uh, programmed in for 30 days, so you're paying at the front end. I should say front end pay instead of pay in advance. Okay. Okay, front end pay. But in the meantime, even though you don't have the services, you can get a late charge for not having it paid beforehand. Uh, see, that's not how my bills work. Uh, so you know exactly what's going on inside your own household and with your bills. Like, I'm paying my bills for July. And if I have a late fee, it's because I was late paying my bill for July. The real trick comes in a variety of fronts there, though, that people talk about, is what happens if I had a prolonged outage and I didn't have the service, but yet I got to pay for it. And then if I'm late paying for it, I got to pay a late fee on a service that wasn't reliable throughout the month of July, for instance. So that's where it gets complicated for a lot of folks. Yes, I can see what you're saying now. The PUB gave them permission that if they don't get paid at a certain time in, in July, uh, which for the services in July. Mm-hmm. Right, and in this case, if we're talking about your your internet bill or your cell phone or your home internet, that yes. would be uh, something offered and permission granted by the uh, CRTC, because yes. that would be a federal uh, issue. If I get in a taxi and go for a ride, I don't pay for my ride at the beginning of the round. You pay part of it. As soon as, you're, as soon as your backside oh, yeah, hits the seat. You, you don't take the money out of pocket. No, they don't. Right. Of course not. And pay for it until you have had the services. Right. And uh, if I got halfway or, or 10% to my destination, and he said, okay, I'm going to give you a late fee, that would be kind of strange. It would be a bizarre cab ride, yep. But, you know, uh, I, I'm speaking for other people, not myself. Uh, my, uh, I don't bother looking at bills. They go into the bank, they come out of the bank, and that's it. But there's some people still paid the old way. And you're getting a, 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 a much more older population now than we used to have. And sometimes, for different reasons, uh, the uh, senior people don't get to the bank until uh, a week after they get their check. Uh, maybe because of sickness, maybe because of transportation, or other reasons and things like that. So you you got a group of people who is paying that uh, extra four or five bucks a month that uh, didn't have their service yet, but they they still get dinged with it anyway. Sure, and for some people, it depends on where you live. It might not even be a, br- a bank where you live, because we've seen the different bra- branches being pulled out of smaller communities, so that's also something that might contribute to a potential late fee. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right on. I thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate your time. Hope you have a nice day. You too, sir. Bye-bye. Okay, let's see if we can get line one again. Line one, caller, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Go right ahead. What's on your mind? I think the public utilities board should be dismantled because they're like the plane checkers. One person puts it down, they put it up, and they put it up a hell of a lot more than what it costs down. I don't have a car, and I sympathize with people who do. They are working for nothing. You know what, their paycheck must be nothing at the end of the pay period. Because then you got other taxes besides the gas. And they got to have a car to get to work. I understand that. And then they got everything else checked up to five cents on the sugar. 
or whatever it is on sugar drinks. Everything the youngsters put in their hands is sugar in it. Well, you know, that's an interesting point about uh, young people because you look at what some of the most popular cereals are. My God, the sugar content in some cereals is unbelievable. Exactly. Sure. That's going up. Well, what you put milk on it is, 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 is a beverage. <laughs> you know, everything you're eating is sugar. Well, there's but a lot of sugar. Look, years ago, I don't even know if you can get it now. Where it was remember Freshie and Kool Aid and look at the sugar went in that. Oh yeah, lots. Yeah, and I mean here we are now in this generation, and I'm a no senior citizen, and I like my bottle of Pepsi too. Pepsi's is the one you go for. Yes, sir. How many Pepsis do you think you drink a day? Oh, I don't know. It could be a liter. It could be two liter if I'm thirsty. And I'm in my seventies, and thank God I'm still this side to side. Well, you are this side, and you're right here on the show. Two liters is a fair bit. It's not for me to tell you what to do. You do whatever you like. You know, there's no common tax, as far as we can tell, as of yet, with some of the other sugary products. For instance, cereal, and that's a good one to point to because it's a pretty popular choice for breakfast for a lot of people, including particularly children, I would imagine. Well, sure, if you cook porridge, you got to put sugar in it. You know what I mean? So well, whatever he touches sugar with it. Yeah, I guess you can choose whether or not you want to add some sugar to your porridge well, or sir, your oatmeal. You want to get it raw, right? I mean, we're not paying for that. We're, we were brought up on, on porridge and, and shredded wheat or all that old jazz or, or what's the other one? Um, little white bead one, something what? like porridge. But anyway, as far as I'm concerned, sir, okay. there's all a tax grab. <laughs> and our, my children are grown up, but I think some of my grandchildren, there, a lot of them are grown up. But as far as I'm concerned, whoever thought up this idea of five cents on the sugar, does that mean to say that the beer will go up? No, it's not. That won't have anything to do yeah, with beer. Sugar and beer. But it doesn't have anything to do with alcoholic beverages. Not beer at this point. There's lots of tax no, on it. What, what, what people mainly lots, used to. There's lots sugar of Sugar pops or whatever it is. There's Frosted flakes is all got sugar on it. The, 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 absolutely. You know what? All that cereal is going to go off. Well, maybe. That's not. No, maybe. But I mean, if they're going to pay for it, they're going to go off. We're going to pay for it. I, me, or you, or anybody. But at this moment in time, it won't be going up because the government makes it go up. <laughs> It's well, the government loves jack taxes on us anyway. They do indeed. Governments like tax. They like their taxes on us. And the least thing. But I wonder if they take their salary. I wonder if we took back half of their salaries. Would they like it? No, they wouldn't like it. No, but that's what they're doing with the four people, and they people on a fixed income. Right. Um, and I'm not trying to be mean, sir, but anyway. You can say I whatever think, you like. It doesn't bother me. I think this is ridiculous. It's like playing checkers. One day, somebody used it this morning with down one cent and PUB put it up eight. Now, what's the, what's the good of having the other man doing it? Uh, interesting question. The PUB has a role. I mean, it's not just no, the, be, Oh, my goodness gracious. They should be dismantled. They should be dismantled. Point taken. They should be dismantled. Understood. Think a lot of people should agree with it. They're the only ones that keep putting it up. They never put it down. And I don't have a car and I'm none of your business, probably. I don't know. But what I'm trying to say is. It should be dismantled. It, it should be done away with. They save their salaries and put it into the cost. Put it into where it's needed. I appreciate I don't the know time. How many people is working there, but maybe that's what we should do. Get rid of them Ver- and save their <laughs> salaries and put it into a fund. A very quick question before I, I have to go is how many grandchildren do you have? Nine. Oh, wow. And some are adults almost now, you know. Okay, very good. 
Are they around? Are they here in the province? Oh, yeah, they're here. Oh, good. You're lucky. But I hope they don't be here for long because there's nothing here to keep them here. Well, hopefully they stay with something to do and a well, decent job. Well, with the taxes are going up here, there's nobody going to afford to live here. This is going to be me in your island. It's only going to be me and you. No, a millionaire island because it's all going to be able to live here as a millionaire people. Oh, well, then I won't be here either. No, none of us will be, Teddy. None of us. Yeah, that's, that's a hard think. way to look at it. Huh? It's a hard way to look at it, but that's what I said for all right. Uh, okay. And all the rich people will be flying here, you know what I mean? But we won't be around. Well, someone will have to be around to serve the, the muck well, and Well, there'll rocks. be some old senior citizen who can <laughs> stand up after that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. i got to go. I do have okay, to go, John, but I appreciate the call. Day. All the yes, best. Sir. Alrighty. Boy. Uh, let's take a break. Okay. And welcome back. Let's go. Line number two. Say good morning to the independent member of the House of Assembly elected in and serving the folks of Humber Bay of Islands. That's Eddie Joyce. Good morning, Eddie. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you this morning? Top shelf. How are you doing? I can't complain. I can't complain. I'm heading to an event in Humber. I'm so... Uh, Patty, I was calling on the on the sugar tax uh, that, that was announced yesterday and the announcement. And I just want to give a bit of background to that. Uh, first of all, it was $3 million. Now it's 5.1 that the minister stated yesterday for the sugar tax. The intent... Just say that part again, Eddie, sorry? What did you just say? Her, her initial, um, they said the estim- estimation was $3 million, and she announced yesterday that it's 5.1 that they're putting into these programs from the sugar tax. Right, okay. So, so I had to just check that out. The, in, in the House of Assembly at the time, Patty, there, there, was, a, um, there was a stalemate. The PCs uh, and the NDP and myself and Pauline, too, thought, okay, we if you're going to bring in this tax, you have to do it something for new programs to, to educate people. Uh, the government at the time, there was a stalemate. So myself and Paul Ning uh, went outside with the Steve Crocker, uh, Sharon Cody, the PCs, uh, and the NDP. We said, okay, let's work something out here. So I came up with the compromise that, listen, let's, let's give the money to to uh, programs and organizations that's going to promote healthy living. And like, like and the ones that came up was like the um, Heart and Stroke, Canadian uh, Diabetes Association, nutritionists speaking at schools. So the deal was, the agreement was that we go back in the house and vote for this, was that the money would be used for new educational programs, not existing programs in government. And what we seen yesterday was the existing programs in government, this money used for it. Um, This was a deal that Sharon Cody and and Steve Crocker made. Uh, This is uh, when Tony Wakeham was there and he was uh, nervous about existing programs. He's correct. These are existing programs. And the commitment was that they would put it in their budget. Sharon Cody would have it in their budget. And at the time, it was $3 million. Say we gave a million dollars to the heart and stroke, it would be a line item. And that was the commitment that was made. Uh, The commitment uh, wasn't kept. So when you see um, a lot of money, again, gone in to the tax credit, the it's not a bad program, but if you got a, a person who got to put up $2,000 to get back $150 at the end of the year, how's that going to stop them from drinking sugary drinks? The idea was the educational programs that was put in there, and that's what was agreed upon. 
Yeah, I know, and I mentioned that off the top of the show. But even if we're going to stick with even some of these educational awareness programs, whether it be in school or otherwise, to add to that, we still have a bunch of schools across the province that are non-compliant with the rules to put the certain types of healthy choices in the school. So, you know, this is a real mixed bag, and it's not working because if their commitment, I remember the debate, and some of the compromise was, and not necessarily full-on compromise inside the entirety of the House, but new programs, that made sense. I mean, we've got the funding for the Kids Eat Smart that flows annually and there should be more money for school lunch. We understand with the physical activity tax credit even though there should be a way for people who can't afford it to get involved as opposed to waiting for a tax credit when they can't afford the enrollment fee to begin with. Uh, that's a problem. So I don't know how this is going to work. The concept makes all the sense in the world. We've got the chronic uh, illnesses and diabetes and our healthy lifestyle isn't what it should be. Our healthy diet is not what it should be. So conceptually it makes sense. Structurally it doesn't make much sense to me. I agree, Patty, and, and where, where this debate uh, had taken place, myself and Paul Lane said, look, I gave him some suggestions, Paul said, let's go out and try to get this because the House is there to steal me. This was taken outside the House Assembly. This agreement was done that it would be for promotional uh, and, and do it like the Heart and Stroke Foundation, like, like we're always talking about um, major heart disease in the province of Newfoundland Labrador. What better organization can say, okay, we could do a, pro, uh, a promotional across the province and, and we can continue this. Juvenile diabetes, nutritionists, dietitians are going to schools and going to special events to, to speak on healthy eating. What better program can you get than education program? And and uh, I, 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 I'm disappointed that the Minister Siobhan Cody and Steve Crocker, uh, but I got to agree with Tony Wakeham that uh, that their fear came through that this was a tax grab. It's not too late for government to change it. Okay, you, you, you did it for this year. Next year, let's follow up on the commitment. Let's, let's try to make a real change because we all know, if you go back with smoking, how smoking was educational programs, and then after educational programs went in place, then legislation started coming in place. That's what we need to do is education to, to the younger people and to the parents that, that, that they can reach, but you're, you are not going to reach them by a, a physical activity credit. No, probably not. It's interesting that you mentioned smoking because it wasn't just one thing in the world of smoking. It was not only awareness campaigns and education, especially aimed at young people. It was change of the labeling. It became very clear what the message was on a pack of cigarettes or whatever else. So we don't see exactly that in some other products, whether it be pop or cereals or otherwise. So the labeling changed. They hid the smokes behind uh, a cabinet or something in the store. So that was part of it. They taxed it to the point where some people quit because they couldn't afford it. So there was a bunch of different things that happen in smoking as opposed to this approach which is currently uh tax and not much more but the thing with it when you put a tax you're not promoting why there you should i I understand and 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 i call upon government look this year you didn't fall through on your commitment next year let's follow through because education promotional in the schools promotion in in if you take the junior diabetes in newfoundland labrador and they start promoting in schools here's the here's the possibility if you start eating sugary drinks and, and with diabetes people are going to be nervous of that they're going to go home to their parents hold up mom this may happen to me i don't want this this is the education program nutritionists dietitians they're great to go and promote healthy living and, and the effects of sugary drinks. But yet we missed the mark on it. We missed the mark. So on Caliban government, we missed the mark this year. Let's not miss it next year. Appreciate the time, Eddie. 
Uh, thank you very much. All the best. Bye-bye. That's Eddie Joyce. He's the independent member for Humber Bay Violence. Just to pick up on one of the points uh, inside that conversation, there has been a big push across the country for more appropriate and easier to read labels on various products. I guarantee you that there's a bunch of people out there when they go to the grocery store, they know what they like. They know if they have a sweet tooth. They know if they like uh, whatever product and brand and maybe don't fully realize exactly what they're consuming. You need a microscope to read some of the labels. And then when you have it, you know, all inside of the scientific jargon for what some of these additives might be, what you need is some easier, bigger, prominent labels that give people a better idea of what exactly they're buying, what exactly they're eating and or drinking. Have you ever picked up an energy drink and had it just jump off the can to you that how much sugar is in it? Of course you haven't. Would that influence some decisions? Probably. You know, look, some of the commercials you see about some of these warnings, it's extraordinary. It drives the point home. They will pour however much sugar is actually in one of these tins of whatever energy drink. And I guarantee you there's lots of people who have drank loads of them, had no idea just exactly what they were consuming. Labeling is a big deal. It was certainly a massive big deal when it came to curbing the number of Canadians smoking because it wasn't just tax. A lot of it had to do with education, the labels, and they put the smokes away. You know, it wasn't that rainbow-filled wall of the variety of cigarettes you could get. And packaging and marketing was ruling the rules. Now they're all nondescript, and the most prominent thing on it is a label indicating what it could do to you. Not so much on food. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, tons of time to speak with you today on a topic of your choosing. Don't go away. You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. So we are in the loop, the loop on line number four. Good morning, Susan Guiney. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Couldn't be better. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. 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 You can hear me okay, right? Not too bad. Go right ahead. Yeah, because I have you on speakerphone because I have a friend visiting from Ontario and we can't get the VOCM signal unless we put it on a computer here. So. What? Yeah, we, we, we have lots of radios, but we cannot get a good signal for VOCM. Not good enough. I will see if they can boost up our output here, whatever the right phrase is. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, it's on the go, Susan. Oh, uh, well, tomorrow is our last uh, of the five walks. Um, here in Renew, starting at 10 a.m. from Hagen's Hospitality. That's, uh, it's no longer there, the hospitality home, but it's down in Eckford, and we will have a sign on the road stating that that's the starting point, and then the other one will be up uh, at the outside of Renews on Freshwater Road, and we'll also have the sign, and then they'll meet in the middle at the town of Renews Hall, uh, if the weather permitting, they will have a barbecue, free swim, and bouncy castle, and a 50-50 ticket spin. Just one uh, second, Susan. Before we go any further, you and I know what we're talking about. Maybe not everybody does. So tell us in you know, the Coles notes, what's the loop-the-loop? Loop? What are you working on? What's Bill doing? Okay, Bill, Bill has been, Bill walked across Newfoundland last year, so this year he decided to walk the loop, and he picked five different uh councils and when he sent out letters to all a lot of the councils and in the first five that answered we became uh we had walks in their area so we started out with um 
different communities along the way and uh, we're finishing in our hometown uh, and this uh, money raise will go towards Canadian Mental Health Association and we're just um, trying to get out and walk and talk with people and interact with people and just have a great time doing it. I think you're making a difference. I really do. Because I've heard lots of stories where people maybe for the first time or very seldom have they had an open, honest conversation about mental health, mental illness, and then they encountered you or Bill at one of the events you've done over the years, push-up challenges, work, walking across the province or otherwise, and they came away feeling very refreshed that they can have this conversation. And they've probably had them extensively since they met you or Bill. So I think it's awesome. Oh, we've we've grown. Our our friendship has grown across the province and and across. It's reached out to different people in different provinces also, and um, we have a very good friend list now that a lot of people have joined our team of walking and talking and meeting new people and joining up with older friends and um, uh, our Ken McDonald is joining in our walk tomorrow. Terrific. Of course, he's the Liberal member for Avalon. Yes, Yeah. Yes. Okay. And then tomorrow night, there's a dance at the, the Loop restaurant in or in Permuse. So it's Loop to Loop in the Loop with our phones and the band, whether or not, will be playing. Terrific. Well, for folks who would like to join in or meet up or have a chat or contribute however they want, give them the details one more time for the final stage of the Loop. Okay, it's... Uh, a 10-kilometer walk from Hagen's Hospitality, and the other end is Freshwater Road, and we're meeting at Renews Town Hall uh, for Bouncy Castle's free swim and 50-50 ticket spin. And um, not ticket spin, there's 50-50 tickets being sold. And we're having a dance tomorrow night in Muse to end off our our fundraising. So the fundraising continues on and the ticket ticket sales will continue on until the end of August. So you can reach out to me or Bill or Canadian Mental Health. um, I think uh, the link is like loop to loop and um, you can donate there. Uh, When you go into Canadian Mental Health, you go down to Bill's page loop to loop and uh, you can donate there or you can text. I can't remember the text number. I think it's Two, two, two. I'll find it and figure it out for you. I'll put it out there. No problem. Thank you so much, Patty. And we look forward to talking to you after this is all over and let you know how we came on. Absolutely. I look forward to that, too. Say hello to Bill and to your visiting guest from Ontario for me. Okay. Hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Terrific. Thanks, Susan. All right, then. Thanks, Patty. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Here we go. Uh, good stuff. The guy needs are good people. Let's go. Line number five, Tina. You're on the air. Hi, good morning, Patty. How are you? Could not be better this morning. How are you doing? Good. I'm calling from Labrador City. Okay. Second time caller many, many years ago was my first time calling. A um, little frustrated here. We have a property in St. John's. It's a rental property. My daughter is actually living in the basement apartment, and she looked out her window one day, and the property next door, which you know, has nothing to do with us really. In the dryer vent of that property, she saw a hornet or a wasped wasp nest forming and it has literally taken over the dryer vent. It's huge. It's very daunting to look at. Um so I've called the town four times starting week before last, can't remember the exact dates. 
twice uh, they took my information, whatever. Twice they told me they would get back to me when something is being done about it. Haven't heard a thing. As of yesterday, this hornet's nest was still there, very active. Um, three major concerns I have with this. Well, first of all, like the hornets or wasps, I don't know what the difference is. Um, they're flying around my daughter's basement apartment now, like outside. When you come out, you could have hornets around you. So what do you want the city to do about it, though? I'm sorry? I, I don't know, but something has to be done about it, whether it's the landlord it's approached or what but like this is a dangerous thing uh like i said there's hornets around my daughter's property but the my daughter's boyfriend went over to the people who lived i'm not sure if it was upstairs or downstairs and attempted to point it out to them but they had very broken english so they couldn't understand what he was saying um so like something has to be done because a this is a fire hazard if someone goes out poking at this or something, they're going to be very badly stung. And see, it's now coming over around my daughter's property. So, you know, what do we do? <laughs> I don't know. I would start with the landlord, though, to see if they can do something. Because, look, most of us have encountered one of these nests on our property, hornets or wasps or yellow jackets or whatever. But whatever they are, they're a nuisance, and they're potentially the sting can be quite something. So I'd try the landlord because there's lots of products that you can get. Just so go to Canadian Tire, for instance, or Kent or what have you, Home Hardware, locally owned and operated, and buy one of these wasp-be-gone products. But you got to be careful. I think the recommendation is that someone does it at night is, I think, what people talk about. And I've taken care of I tried to get them before they grow too big me and the hockey stick go after the little ones that before they get bigger than the baseball um so i try the landlord first thing because i don't know what the city would actually do for you i don't know but the, like the thing is really it's like it's not anything to do with me uh, yes it's a nuisance they're coming around my daughter's property but you know the basement apartment but i'm very scared for the people next door we don't know who the landlord is like i said my daughter's just there in the basement apartment She've tried to actually. They went to one, and like I said, I don't know if it was the upstairs or the downstairs. They had broken English. They couldn't understand what my daughter's boyfriend was saying. He then took a note, wrote a note, a handwritten note, and put it on the other property, whether it was upstairs or downstairs. Like I said, so we've tried to contact both upstairs and downstairs. No luck. And I've called the town four times, and they seem to think it was a sensible complaint. Sure. Oh, it could very well be. I just don't know what they would uh, normally do for this. Like if I called one of my rental properties, as opposed to me taking care of it, I called the city and asked them to go by and deal with a hornet's nest. I don't know what they would tell me, so I don't know what the process would be, first or last, to be honest. I don't know, but this is, like, it's frustrating because I'm I'm really scared. Like, yes, my daughter, there's a few hornets around her place. That's one thing, but this is a very daunting hornet's nest. Like, it, the dry vent is pretty big, and it's completely covered. Wow. Like, it, there's, yeah, it's it's nasty. And uh, I'm really scared, especially if if these people who are living next door, if, you know, they're foreigners, I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, but, uh, like, if they've never encountered a hornet's nest, I'm afraid they're going to go out and start poking it or something and look out, like, it's not going to be a good scene. And I'm also afraid of the fire hazard. It's completely blocked. 
she, my daughter literally saw it growing. She thought it was a bit of lint in the bottom. She looked out and she said, man, they got a lot of lint in their dryer vent. And then over the few hours, she literally saw it grow. And now mm-hmm. it's completely covered in. Is she and up to the I, task of buying one of these products to go after it herself, or you just don't want her to touch it? No, and, and Valerie, it's not my property. If it was my property, sure, but you can't, like, you just can't go out of someone's property doing stuff like that. We know because even one time when the town had to come in and do some little thing with our property, like, there was a notice put on our door that they would be coming by to walk onto the property. Okay. So, yeah. you know, like, I just can't go up to someone else's property and start doing stuff no but if i'm a renter i'm pretty sure i'd get away with dealing with a hornet's nest on my property because even if it's just to deal with the fire hazard and the dryer vent which is real there's no question that so it it could be viewed as the renter doing a good turn for the landlord but even though the landlord should take care of it i agree uh, tina so appreciate the time anything else you want to tell us this morning no, that's it. I'm just, I'm just very. I'm thinking something should be done from the even from the town's point of view if they contact the landlord. Sure. But you know something should be done, and I don't feel it's it's certainly not my daughter's place. She's only renting the basement from us to go to a, a property next door to take care of it. Like that's not her place, right? So right, yeah. understood. I yeah. appreciate the time. Dave Williams yeah. wants me to put you on hold, so you're going to speak with David again now before we uh, hang up. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Tina. All the best. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've had my neighbor have some concerns that made its way into my yard, whether it be with the gout weed or some other things. So, I don't know. Maybe we can try to help her figure it out. All right, there's a couple of uh, things people want me to give shout-outs to. This is one of them. Coming up next Wednesday, August 17th, at the Fire Hall in Burgio at 6 o'clock, runs till 8 o'clock. It's a... Uh, discussion about Maui, Canada's East Coast growth plans for the proposed agriculture site in the uh, just west of Francois. So the meeting's open to residents of the community, the fish harvesters in the area, and the Burgio First Nation. So that's next Wednesday, August 15th, uh, 17th at 6 o'clock at the Fire Hall of Burgio to talk about the proposed agriculture site west of Francois. When we come back, we're switching gears. We're going to say good morning to one of the directors at the Jacob Puddister Foundation. That's Kelsey Puddister. Don't go away. Uh, welcome back to the show. Very quickly, in conversation with Eddie Joyce, and I knew what he was getting at, and sometimes I don't feel like being, you know, trying to set people straight uh, live on the air. So he made reference to youth and sugar and what have you, and then he mentioned juvenile diabetes. And I know that's not a related to your matter, juvenile diabetes. Uh, adult onset, too, is more a diet-related matter. So I know what he was trying to get at. And people have contacted me many, many times to make that point. So I just put it out there for you. Let's go to line number six and say good morning to one of the directors at the Jacob Puddister Foundation. That's Kelsey Puddister. Good morning, Kelsey. You're on the air. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to have you on the program. Right off the bat, uh, for folks who don't know, I do know, and I put many people onto the Jacob Puddister Foundation. What do you do? So our foundation provides free counseling and peer support to anybody in Newfoundland who's 12 to 35 years old. And so our charity uh, provides that resource to the community in memory of my brother who died by suicide in 2016. Do you mind telling us a bit about Jacob? Of course. I love talking about my brother. Okay. <laughs> um, Jake was uh, an amazing human, and he had the biggest heart of anyone I knew, and he also struggled a lot with mental health for many, many years before he died. And we tried to convince him to get help, but that shame and stigma that surrounded him was just too much, honestly. And so a lot of what we do with the foundation is in memory of his big heart. You know, if he had a good day, he would go out and he would try to make 
the day better for someone else. And so when he died, we had no idea what to do with our grief. And so we decided to put it toward trying to help the people in our province access mental health services when they need it. And there's a huge gap in counseling resources for our community for all ages, but specifically youth. And so we knew I'm a therapist as well. So we kind of knew that that's where we where we wanted to focus our energy. So um, that's what we're doing. And the numbers are staggering. So you're offering free rounds of counseling, 10 sessions each, people ages 12 to 35, and it became so overwhelming that the foundation had to stop taking clients on even a wait list. The number grew all the way to 200, if I remember correctly. So that's where right. are we now with dealing with the backlog? So the great news is uh, that our waiting list is now open again. Oh, good. We were able to get through those 200 people uh, since our waiting list closed. We've hired some more therapists on our staff, as many as we can um, as we can afford to, essentially. And so um, every dollar we raise at our fundraisers and big events, every cent of that goes toward providing that peer support or counseling service to youth. Um, and so we're really happy that we're able to open our waiting list now, and we'll hopefully be able to keep it open for a little bit, and we'll be closing it. Um, the reason we close it, of course, is so that people don't have to wait for six months and feel like they're not being taken care of, right? Mm-hmm. We want everybody who goes to the foundation to know that they're being taken care of and that we're going to do the best, our absolute best, to provide them with care in a timely fashion. And so um, we're really excited about opening our waiting list again, for sure. And not only a timely fashion, it made all the sense in the world to close the waiting list so that people didn't feel like they were being ignored or just left behind like they've felt so many times in the past. So the work is important. Also add in, you know, with the number up to 10 sessions each, what the importance of the continuity of care means for folks who come for your counseling services. Yeah, so many people have unfortunately had bad experiences with one-off therapy, right, where you go in and you speak to one counselor for an hour and then you might go back the next time and see another counselor. That can be useful and it can be useful in crisis situations uh, for sure, but having a continuous counselor where you can build trust with that therapist is so crucial to being able to work toward those long-term goals, right? To be able to work toward obtaining those skills necessary in order to combat anxiety and depression, for example, or, you know, figure out the steps you want to take toward working on that addiction or whatever it is, right? Having that therapist that you can build trust with is, you know, the research shows that that is the best way to receive that care. And so we do everything from an evidence-based, trauma-informed perspective so that our clients get 10 sessions with the same counselor um, and then they do have the option to reapply again and, and request that same therapist. So we understand how important being comfortable with that person is, right, so that you can actually feel like you're able to open up with them. And so that's always what we wanted to provide here. And we've seen that be so beneficial to so many people. We have made over 6,000 counseling appointments at this point with over 650 youth in our province. We are located in St. John's, but we do um, distance counseling either via phone or online to anybody in the province. So um, it's really important to us that we provide that care in the best and most evidence-based practice that we could possibly do. Yeah, I mean, trust is so critically important. But even if we have a different counselor who can take your medical record or the record of your first interaction with the other counselor, there's nothing quite like the face-to-face interaction to get a real understanding of who people are, what their problems are, what their worries are, what the diagnosis is, as opposed to try and read it off the paper and apply it to a new, new person, new counselor new patients so there's so many things in that world also yeah. you know at your 
Foundation. And this is one of the conversations that has become very emotional and tricky and sometimes left behind or in the shadows is applied suicide intervention skills training. Tell us about Mm. the program. Yeah, so we work uh, in partnership with the Canadian Mental Health Association to provide this DIST uh, Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training program to members of the community who would otherwise not be able to access it due to not being able to pay the fee. And so we have provided that to, I think, about 150 people at this point. Um, We actually just had a training today and yesterday. Um, And so we do that in partnership with CMHA and Newfoundland, which are amazing partners. Um, and we're trying to get more people in our communities that information, right? So what do we do if someone comes up to us and say, hey, says, hey, I'm really struggling? Or what, how do we react when a youth comes up to us and says, you know, I might be feeling suicidal or I might have these feelings? I think there's so much stigma associated. There's so much fear around it that when we hear those words, we kind of get cold shivers or our blood runs cold and we get kind of nervous and that might prevent us sometimes from saying the right thing or or being able to connect that person with resources and so assist works to try to be able to provide people with those tools so that they don't have to think about it they just know what those tools are and to provide them to that person and it's yeah. Sorry, you know, listening no, and hearing and recognizing what words are being spoken, but sometimes importantly, what words are not being spoken. So when there's suicidal ideation, you know, there might be, I'm struggling, I'm not doing well. You ask someone, how are you? Are you sure? Are you fine? Do you need anything? <laughs> As opposed to use the right words. Don't be afraid of it. You know, okay. talk about it openly and honestly. Are you thinking about hurting or harming yourself? Do you have societal ideations? Because if you don't ask the question, you're probably not going to get the answer. That's right. And I think that <clears throat> what we know about youth now and what we you know i think people are afraid to say suicide because they're afraid that by saying it it makes it more true but that's not true saying suicide saying the word suicidal ideation it breaks down stigma every time we utter the word especially in public in my opinion right um telling that's why it was so important for us to be open and honest about how jacob died right he died by suicide we're not ashamed of that it is horrific to deal with it's traumatic and we wish desperately that it wasn't true but we're not ashamed that that's how he died he fought so hard and was a wonderful person and again it can be tragic but it is not uh, a shame filled situation right you don't have to be covered in shame because you have these experiences so many people feel suicidal or have suicidal ideation at some point in their lifetime and if you can have a safe person to discuss that with you are so much more likely to be able to access that support that you need and ultimately break free of that and and build connections uh, I'm really pleased you made time for the program this morning and tell us about what you do with the foundation. It's uh, really encouraging that you've got dealt with the backlog of 200 people looking for support and are now accepting more on your wait list. But one of the prime, uh, prime concerns, pardon me, for this call today was to promote something you have coming up on Sunday. So we're going to shift gears. We're going to head to the Kenny Williams Southern Shore Arena Sunday at 1 o'clock. What's happening? Thank you so much for using our name so well. Yeah, Shifting Gears is happening on Sunday, August the 14th from 1 to 5 p.m. And so that event is our annual car show and community day where we have a big car show. We have a bunch of local artists who will be performing all day, including the wonderful Darina Harvey will be making an appearance, which is very exciting. Um, We have bouncy castles and face painting for the little ones. We have all of our merch. And ultimately, this is our big fundraising day. Again, all of the money raised at these events goes directly toward helping youth in our province. 
we do want to add another therapist on so we can reduce these wait times as we head into the uh, the new school year. And so we're really excited about having our event. It will be um, so much fun. There'll be food and music. Um, so we're just so excited to have an event where people can come and, and you know what, talk about mental health, um, shed that shame, get curious about what resources we have. Um, and so lots of our staff and myself will be there that day. If you have any questions about any of this or if you want more information about Shifting Gears or the Foundation, all of that can be found on our Facebook page or on our website, which is just jpmemorialfoundation.com. Um, and we, you can find us easily on Facebook. Appreciate the time, Kelsey. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Take care. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. It's Kelsey Puttister, one of the directors and counselors at the Jacob Puttister Foundation. One more time, you want to take in the car show. It is Sunday, uh, August the 14th from 1 to 5 up in Mobile in the Southern Shore at the Kenny Williams Southern Shore Arena. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're talking about the Canada Games, Jumpstart, Sugar Tax, or whatever you want to talk about. Don't go away. Your VOCM Mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. Welcome back. Let's go. Line number one. Say good morning to the War 3 Councillor of the City of St. John's. That's Jamie Korab. Jamie, you're on the air. Patty, thanks for having me on this morning. No problem. Just based on the call we had a little while ago, there was a, a lady who's renting a basement apartment. Her neighbor is a, somebody owns it as a rental property. They got a wasp or hornet's nest or something, and it's infiltrated the, the neighbors, whatnot. They're trying to get some help from the city. Is that something the city would deal with, or what would be the process if I had a neighbor who was a rental unit, and whether it be cats or wasps or goutweed or what, what happens when the city's called on that front? Just curious. Uh, it's kind of a case-by-case basis. I mean, for some things like if it's a you know, minimum property standards or a, an issue with the property, whether it be in, you know, it's in disrepair, then, you know, that follows under the, uh, you know, minimum property standards. Um, this The WASP one I have never had. It could be considered a civil matter. You know, if there was a boundary dispute between two residents, for argument's sake, that would be a civil matter that wouldn't be the city wouldn't get involved in. The WASP one, I'm not sure, but uh, if that residence is, it was, I, I did hear it, but I didn't catch what municipality. If it is a resident of St. John's, they want to reach out to me. I can, not a problem to look into it, even if it's not my word. Appreciate that, and uh, we'll see. I do have the address. I'll keep it off the airwaves, but maybe I'll just drop it to you in a text. You can do some follow if you like. Okay, so what's on your mind? I see Jumpstart. Are we talking about Canadian Tire Jumpstart? Yeah, yesterday okay. we had an event um, at, in Monty Palm Park. So today is the official open to the public of the Jumpstart inclusive playground at Monty Palm Park. Um, so, you know, and just some, a little bit about it. At, it's about 11,000 square feet. It's the largest inclusive play space here in St. John's, and it's built with universal design principles. Um, you know, they have things like double wide ramps, barrier and transfer free equipment. Um, so it's a very thoughtful design, and it'll accommodate any children or adults with physical, cognitive, or sensory disabilities. Um, so, you know, the event was there yesterday. It was fantastic. Canadian Tire Jumpstart Charities had a bunch of the children from the Boys and Girls Club come out, some local food. Uh, and at one point, I heard one of the kids scream out, you know, best playground ever. So it was a great event and something that uh, is needed in this city. 
Absolutely. You know, there's lots of green spaces, lots of parks, but not lots of parks where everyone can go and enjoy it, regardless of their mobility issues, disability of any variety. That's why we're hoping that Easter Seals gets their completion done. I know there's some concern about the funding for their park, which is also going to be terrific. Uh, Jamie, I would imagine you're keeping your eyes on at the Canada Games like I am. And just for uh, some information for folks, for young fellow Weeks, Chris Weeks, who won his third medal last night of silver in the 50 men's, 50 meter men's, when he won the gold medal a couple of days back, it's now been confirmed it's a Canada Games record. So I just want to put that out there because the Canada Games themselves just confirmed it this morning. So Chris Weeks from Newfoundland and Labrador is a Canada Games record holder in the pool. Fantastic. I, I did know he won a gold, and, and you just gave me goosebumps, you know, having a sports background. Uh, yeah, I mean, Chris has won a gold, two silver. You know, our athletes are doing amazing up there, especially in the pool. Yep. As I said, Chris has a gold, two silver. Uh, Thomas Pelly has a two silver and a bronze, and Nate Lovescombe has a, a silver and a bronze. Yep. So, you know, we've got, uh, you know, those medals in there. They're doing absolutely fantastic. And, you know, the other one that's been talked about uh, a number of times, Obviously, is with Jada Lee being the first female to play in a men's baseball game in the Canada Games ever. And uh, another one that I found very touching, not from this province, but uh, from uh, Nunavut, uh, the male wrestler who won the first ever gold medal from Nunavut. Um, and the video when um, Ali Lack, this is his name, uh, jumped into his coach's arms after winning. I mean, it was just, it'll bring tears to your eyes, just the power of the games. Uh, it's fantastic. I saw the video. It's truly remarkable. So he won a gold medal in the 52 kg weight class. It is terrific stuff. And, you know, when we talk about Jada Lee and the inspiration to young girls particularly, and when we talk about this young fella from Nunavut, the inspiration, the role models they become instantly is so important in sport. It's kind of what we lose sight of. We talk sometimes simply about who won, who lost, as opposed to the next young person who thought, I'm going to be the next Jada Lee. I'm going to be the next Korab or Guju. I'm going to be the next new hook. That's the kind of stuff that we kind of lose sight of, but it's every bit as important as anything they've ever achieved or gold medals they've ever won. No, no question. I mean, I had the privilege of emceeing the Canada Games send-off last month, the rally that they had at the provincial training centre. You know, there was 100-odd athletes showed up. Um, you know, Jada Lee was there because she was the flag bearer. And, you know, we no longer have athletes, in my opinion, going away to national events and there to just have fun or whatnot. Like, we, we legit have people going up there to compete. And I think a lot of that's attributed to, you know, things like the provincial training centre, um, the level of coaching and, you know, the development of coaches. And, you know, and a, lot of, a lot of this, most of it's done through sport and LN the sports organizations but you know as well in the travel I, I see more and more teams now that's how our curling team got better we went away and traveled and a lot of other teams are doing it and I mean to get better you have to play better if you just play against the same caliber you're not going to get much better and you know you said those names you know the Katarina Roxon the Abby Newhooks as well I oh mean, whoever I left out a bunch I just yeah, came up with a couple of quickies we could be here for five minutes listing off athletes from this province that have done well. Point being is there's so many athletes who look up to and if they can do it, why can't I? And I think the mentality, because a lot of this is mental, the mental part has changed and athletes believe they can go up and do well and, you know, those eight medals in the pool are just proving it. It's terrific. Uh, the games I last attended 2017, we won one medal. That was it. And here we are week one with eight. Brilliant. Uh, before we run out of time, so the city and surrounding areas scheduled to host the games in 2025. The infrastructure piece is confusing and there's lots of rumors uh, making their rounds. The pool. So the Aquarina in its current configuration is not accredited to host national competitions. So there's either got to be something done there because I don't imagine that we have time, the money, and the resources to build a new Aquarina or aquatics facility track. Another concern, we've kind of come up short with some of the new builds we've done that don't meet national standards. So where are we in infrastructure, particularly the pool and the track? 
I'm, I'm a little bit involved. I mean, I was involved in the bid process. Councillor Hickman is our um, Canada Games lead, so he's probably a better one to answer those. He's been in those meetings. Um, I, I believe with the Aquarina, there, I believe the, the plan originally, and this was a number of months back, was the, some upgrades in there. And I believe a lot of this was done through Memorial and Provincial Government, given that that's basically who runs that one. Uh, the track is something that I don't know if there's anything final on, finalized on that yet. I know there was concerns, or not concerns, but, you know, the Mount Pearl track that's there now, it is windy for some of the events. So I'm, I'm not sure where that, you know, has uh, has laid out. But, you know, I, you know, I think Councillor Hickman would be a perfect person to come on and talk about that because he's been, uh, you know, facing eyes in the Canada Games as he's the council. Yeah, I'll, I'll get him to uh, come on in the very near future because my understanding at the Aquarina, there's a combination of things, including deck space, that just isn't up to the national standard. So that's a real issue. And the track, I mean, of course, we're parking our cars over by the Aquarina on the track. That was absolutely up to national standards. So anyway, there you go. Appreciate the time this morning, Jamie. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I just wanted to let thing, yeah. So Kim and Carl, who have been the... Uh, the co-chairs and the group we have working, Summer City staff and some other ones that are working on this Canada Games, that's something they fully recognize and realize. So that's something they, you know, will be working on. You know, I, I believe we're going to put off one of the best games ever, Cornerbrook in uh, 1999. Still to this day, people say it's one of the best Canada Games. So, you know, lastly, on the, just to clue it up on the Canadian Tower Jumpstart, uh, you know, thank, I want to also just quickly thank Deputy Mayor O'Leary. I was the council lead for this in 2019 when it was announced. That all changed when the, the new council came in in September. So she's current lead now for community service. So we kind of tag team this. And, you know, for people to check it out, it's a money pound park. It's got a softball field, skate park, dog park. Um, the new recreation facility that's going to be in there and open hopefully in the fall of 2023. So everyone check it out and have a great weekend. Appreciate the time, Jamie. Thanks, Patty. Take care. Bye-bye. Jimmy Corrab, Ward 3 Counselor. Time for a break. Nick's in the queue. We appreciate his patience. He wants to talk about the sugar tax. Don't go away. And welcome back to the program. All right. Line number two, Nick, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Hi, Nick. Um, I just uh, want to touch base on this sugar tax. Uh, you know, if they're going to go after sugar, my geez, they should have went to the full length of it, you know, from cereals to chocolate bars or whatever. But, you know, you can't do that. I mean... To me, that's my opinion anyway, because you're just going to nail people to the point where they're just going to pay taxes on top of taxes for everything. But the part I get from the sugar tax is that they're saying aspartame's okay, uh, but not taxing that. That should have been the first thing you should have taxed was the aspartame product to be put in soft drinks like Diet Coke, Pepsi, uh, Diet Pepsi, sorry, and uh, so forth. Um, you know, if they're going after people's health, I mean, that's a killer itself, especially when it comes down to your organs, your body, like stuff that you read about it, headaches, seizures, migraines, anxiety, depression, insomnia. I mean, that to me would have been a better tax than uh, going after uh, someone's glass of Pepsi. <laughs> well, I don't dispute it, and the diet drinks are exempt. I did, the first time that this was announced uh, around budget time, I went to read as many articles as I could to see if there was a consensus about intake. Now, of course, aspartame is about 200 times sweeter than sugar. So you get away with less aspartame for the sweetness level versus if it was natural uh, additional sugar. But I see a bit, a bit of torn material out there. Some of them say that's a marginal difference. And when we talk about aspartame containing fewer calories, it's about two calories per teaspoon, if I remember correctly. So... 
the I did I could not find a medical consensus with just how bad aspartame is versus additional sugar, and it all depends on the amount added, right? So if aspartame, in insofar as artificial sweetener, I need less of it to hit a certain level of sweetness. So to be honest with you, Nick, I read about these things. I could not come up with a consensus that aspartame bad, sugar good. Yeah, but I get your point. I was looking at the nutritional neuroscience. Uh, they had some research, researchers doing a study back in 2017. And uh, the other side of it is like, you know, I'd sooner, he says it's better too. A, tea, a teaspoon of sugar is better than two packets of uh, sweetener from the aspartame when you're going to buy your coffee at Tim Hortons or McDonald's or so forth. So I'm going to get taxed on my teaspoon of sugar over two packets of aspartame. That makes no sense. Well, some of those, like if you're talking about a coffee shop, point to sale are exempt as well. So that's, I'm just trying to fill in the details when we get uh, some yeah. of these conversations going. So if I go to the coffee shop, I'm not going to pay a tax on the sugar that I may add to my coffee or have the person add for me. Uh, one thing they should have done was ban the sugar that you put in uh, kids' cereals. I mean, some of these cereals, there's more sugar than there is nutrition. Like, uh, you know, when you look at the stuff like Fruit Loops and Cocoa Puffs and all that stuff, I mean, it's for sugar, Te- teaspoons of it. Absolutely. Some of that is not only the potential to, you know, government getting p- picking winners and losers in the grocery store is also a very tricky piece of business. For me, for people to have a better understanding of what they're consuming, labels, you either bring a magnifying glass and a dictionary or you never know what's in whatever you're buying. So there's been a push across the country for better labeling, which makes sense. Because remember, back when the whole thing about this product not, is now available in light, L-I-T-E or L-I-G-A a light variety. Turns out years later that that was as much about marketing as it was about a a healthier uh, light option being given. So we need better labeling because people have no idea what they're eating or drinking. Well, I mean, we got the aisles in the supermarkets where you got Pepsi and you got Coke and you got chips and bars all in one aisle. Maybe these cereals and uh, so forth and these other products should be all put in the same aisle instead of putting a box of Cocoa Puffs next to uh, a box of oatmeal. I mean, you know, uh, other than that, Patty, uh, I just want to touch base on West White Rose out there in Argentia. Sure. Um, you know, they praised and glorified it and jumped all over it. Fury did, saying how great it was that it started back up. But since it's been started, there's a skeleton crew out there. You're lucky is anybody even out there. Apparently, from what I understand and from what I hear from, from the QC side of it, um, everything's after rusting over from where it laid up uh, for the last two years. And the QC is given it a very poor grade of uh, quality. It's not from the workers. It's just because where it was sitting there, laying there, and uh, nothing being done with it. But what does that have to do with government? Uh, I'm just saying that they're appraising this as being a big project and giving these people all kinds of millions of dollars to get it back online, but yet there's nothing going on out there. Yeah, the first batch of money, yeah, fair enough, the first bit of money that I think was $45 million, if I remember correctly, uh, yeah. and that came from the feds. Uh, so we didn't give them any money, but now what we have done, same thing when we're trying to reignite Terra Nova, is we've left money on the table to get them back out there, whether it be with royalties and an injection of cash and all those types of things. You're right, but the first bit of money that came from that oil and gas recovery fund, which was all federal government money, I think it was 324 million bucks in total, and it was nothing for workers; it was all for companies. Yeah, well, I think there should be a watchdog put in place to watch when these monies are going out like this, to be watching the programs to make sure they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. Because sure. uh, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's a bit disgraceful because uh, Westway Roads was never a year-round project. It was only considered to be a seasonal project. 
and uh, for a seasonal project like that, I mean, uh, I mean, winter's coming. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm a little su- bit surprised that it got restarted, period. Because even uh, Synovus... Great lighthouse, is all I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, between Synovus and Husky, even in their most uh, recent annual report prior to the restart out there, there was no mention of the East Coast activity, period. But then all of a sudden, they gave it another green light. So I guess it's good, but unless it's staffed up and done properly and fills the amount of jobs that they talk about and has the impact financially to the province, then there's a lot to be asked uh, in regard to it. I get that, Nick. Yeah. And uh, just one uh, note to the Paradise Councillors, if any of them are listening. Uh, Paradise people want a swimming pool uh, instead of us having to be trucked out and only getting one day a week in the Aqua Arena assigned to our community. Uh, we got one of the biggest communities in Newfoundland, and we need a swimming pool for our kids. And possibly another couple of ice rinks. I know it costs money. I'm willing to pay the extra tax for So. Talk about hockey rinks, uh, and maybe many people listening to this program couldn't care less, but the, the city of St. John's needs another rink. I can guarantee you that. It is unbelievable out there, and uh, the cost... Right now, what? the city of St. John's is getting four new rinks up in Galloway. Well, I'll believe it when I skate on it. Well, I've, uh, I've heard through the grapevine, through people that are involved, that basically there's been some funding put in place and helping it out, and... Some big stakeholders in it, and these uh, some big investors are big money men here in town. Oh, I know who they are. Uh, yeah. Well, and let me let me narrow it down a little bit further. The east end of St. John's needs another ice surface. That's for yes. sure. Because now yeah, we're we're, we're talking about St. Bond's Forum, uh, O'Hare Arena, or um, pardon me, uh, what's the name of the boys who own that rink? Anyway, I should get it right. Because no, no fair when people buy, put their hard-earned money out in front of it. We don't give them credit oh, yeah. for it. Oh, Yetman, Yetman's Arena, there on Bonaventure Avenue. You, anyway, Nick, appreciate the time. Off to the news we go. Yeah, no worries. All the best. See you. Bye bye. Uh, just for the sugar content bit, I mean, talking about cereals, I think it's an appropriate level of uh, appropriate next step in the conversation. Because if we are talking about health and we are talking about healthy lifestyle and decisions and choices and the like, okay, in the energy drinks. I used to kind of get pretty annoyed when I'd see the tins around the house. I really didn't want the boys drinking the energy drinks. Not a fan. There's so in the even the regular size can of one of these energy drinks. I think there's something like 29 grams of sugar. I mean, 29 grams of sugar in one drink. And it's not up to me to tell you what to do or how to parent. But I know this one young fella who used to knock around our place all the time. And when I'd ask the boys, I mean, how many of these energy drinks does he have a day? And the answer would be, well, you know, six, eight. Man, that is a pretty heavy sugar intake. Anyway, let's take a break for the 11.01 and a half news. When we come back, we're speaking with you. Do not go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the show. Let us go. Line number four, Susan, you're on the air. Hi, good morning, Patty. Morning. Uh, I come, I'm from Broad Cove, small point area, CBN. Yep. And uh, they put down some uh, speed bumps in our community because we're having a lot of trouble with speeders and stuff. And they put one on our back row from my house all oh, about six weeks ago. And we look out this morning, they're all being taken up. And uh, why are they being taken up? Oh, they had complaints. They had complaints about uh, people having to slow down for these speed bumps. Well, I thought that was the whole idea. Yeah. 
So you must have the uh, the temporary plastic ones, obviously. No, no, these are the real. The, 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 now they're saying they're not the right ones, but these. Oh, they, they told me this morning at the council office. Oh, they're the parking lot speed bumps. I said, no, they're not. Those speed and the guys who took them up said not the wrong speed bumps. They've even taken them away from the playground. They took up everything. Yeah, I mean, look, we all know what happens here, right? The squeaky wheel gets the grease, and the complaints are usually louder than the folks who are asking for some speed-calming measures. If the complaint to a speed-calming measure is people slow down, then if I'm a town councillor, I just disregard that because that's why we put them there to slow people down. Yeah, apparently, well, apparently not our town council. You know what we were told? Oh, you see them speeding, call the cops. We, our RCMP is in Harbor Grace. We're like you know, 45 minutes away. Where, where, where are they going to be by the time they get here, right? So I, I, so we, we got this morning, they have taken up all these bumps. That, that So now uh, we can't sleep here in the nighttime because they're roaring up. Now, and it's all for bikes. It's not for cars. Apparently it's the bike issue. Oh, and the bikes can dodge a speed bump. I can ride my motorcycle in between the speed bumps. Where I live, on the main road in my neighborhood, they just put in four different sets of speed bumps on the one road. I know why it's there. There's a school on that street. It's a 30 zone, but people, because it's such a wide road, people zip up and down there like it's Daytona. And the speed bumps, I, you know, I'll admit the first couple of times I went over, I'm like, here we go. But they're there for the right reason. I don't mind slowing down. I'd rather slow down than to strike a child. Exactly. And, and ours were, like I said, they were using our back road here. It's the old highway. They were using that, like you said, Daytona, no problem. Um, and anyway, they, they, uh, they put these speed bumps in. And yes, uh, what a difference, Patty. They have slowed people down so much. Yeah. But apparently last night, somebody went to the council and council agreed to go around today and take every speed bump in the community up. Not just ours, everyone. Okay. Odd. And so you have a council in Broadcove? Uh, yes, we do. We have okay. a small point, yes. Well, let's see if they can make time for us to give us some of the thought process behind putting down a speed bump to slow people down. People slow down, so let's haul out the speed bump. I don't mind asking them the question. But perfect. Like I said, I, I reported it to the news this morning, too, because I said, you know, this is crazy. Why would you do this? And, and, I mean, you got kids here on those four-wheelers is what is the problem. And they're like 14, 15 years old, and they're zipping up. And we actually had a lady attack my neighbor over the fact that she said, you got that bike, it's going to kill my son. But your son is 15, he's not supposed to be on a bike. And how slowing down going to kill anyone? Well, well, apparently, apparently those speed bumps were going to kill them. So, uh, well, that's because they wouldn't slow down. They're going to use them as a jump, as a ramp. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what's going on here. And this is not a good situation, Patty. I even told them this morning, said, look, I pay my taxes monthly. That's my tax money you're pulling off the road there this morning and throwing in the garbage. That, that don't make sense to me. Let's see. I'll do some follow-up and see what I can find out. Thanks, Susan. All right, thank you. Take care, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, let's keep rolling here. Let's go to line number three. Charlie, you're on the air. Yes, good morning, Patty. Good morning to you. Patty, just a little bit of uh, a quick history of the lack of accountability for the rich and powerful. I don't know if you've read anything about the robber barons, the Carnegies, the Rockefellers, and uh, some of these back then, uh, how they made all their money. I'm familiar with the... 
the rich families that you speak of, yes? Yes, the Vanderbilts and so on. Sure. They were, they were totally, totally uh, uh, crooked, and what they did to, to unions and uh, what, what they did to each other uh, to, to, to make a dollar is worth reading. And, of course, uh, most of them uh, w- weren't held to account. And coming along further, I thought about the, the, the Iraq War and uh, the torture was involved there and uh, the financial crisis, how few of uh, these people were, were held to account uh, uh, with, with, with the Bushes and so on, right? Leading up to the story uh, 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 today, it's going to come out today if uh, Trump was holding on to nuclear papers, right? Well, okay, just if we're going down the Trump road, it's infuriating. Um, So nobody really knows. There was uh, sources that spoke to the Washington Post. They printed an article yesterday saying that some of the documents that the FBI were looking for were related to nuclear armament. Uh, People talk about nuclear codes. Nuclear codes change all the time. Apparently, it's more specific information about what the arsenal includes. We do know that even in an interview on television, uh, the former president talked uh, about saying, you have no idea the stuff we got. Well, if you had information like that, then why wouldn't the DOJ and the FBI be intimately concerned with it? And so they went to the Department of Justice and the FBI went to a judge with information seeking a warrant, were granted a warrant, gave the Secret Service a one-hour heads-up, executed the warrant, took the information back to F- the FBI or to the Department of Justice, and now all the talk about it was a raid and the FBI's the KGB. I mean, the reaction has been apoplectic. It's just remarkable to watch. But don't we want anybody and everybody to be held to the same standards under the, uh, under the eyes of the law? I thought so, but apparently not. Well, his old presidency, just, just, just to, 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 to mention a few, his inauguration, there was millions unaccounted for. I suppose they're still investigating that, right? Then you got his hotels and, and golf courses that, that, that he, he had the military using these, and he wanted the G7 at one point to hold their conference at, at, at one of his places. And the Saudis, of course, had to, had to patronize his hotels. Then you had the tax cut for the rich, uh, that he benefited from, and then all the lawsuits for his uh, political action committees that he was raising money for, that the dupes uh, were sending him millions of dollars again that went into his pocket. So everything about him has been uh, 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 for the bottom line dollar. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to speculate now. The only reason he would be hanging on, if, if indeed they were nuclear papers, would be to uh, monetize them in some way. And I'm thinking of, 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 of the Russians in, in this regard. And although that sounds quite outlandish, given his history, it wouldn't be at all surprising that because what other reason would he have for stealing or taking these papers, right? But anyway... I have no idea, and I'm loath to talk about what they may or may not know because I have no idea what they may or may not know, what the documents are, what the documents aren't. So until there's more to understand about what went on here, I I just don't even know what to say anymore. But what I do know is just the completely outrageous reaction from some is just mind-boggling. Like the war starts now. What do you mean the war starts now? We don't want people to be held to account. We don't want investigations to take place. And the whole bit, the way they pick and choose the words to describe what happened, like the raid and all this, they gave him a one-hour heads up. They told him, we're coming over. (laughs) 
held on to the papers. They gave him seven months after the initial boxes that that that, that he gave. They gave him seven months, and and of course he didn't act. But but the law and order Republicans who are all for uh, maintaining law and order apparently it only applies to uh, to to uh, the other side. Because uh, what Newt Gingrich uh, basically said, a call to arms and so on, it's, it's, it's totally out to lunch. But anyway, uh, that's my speculation, and it'll be interesting today when that comes out, because we should find out more about 3 o'clock this afternoon. But yeah, I, I don't know what they have. I have no earthly idea. Uh, it's also worth pointing out that the FBI director, Christopher Ray, Ray was appointed by uh, then-President Trump. Uh, the director of the FBI at the time, James Comey, 11 days prior to the 2016 election, said that Hillary Clinton was under investigation, and she was. So the wanting it both ways is always quite amazing to me. And I don't care who we're talking about or what we're talking about or what politician or what party we're talking about. When that's the go-to uh, level of hypocrisy, it's just maddening to watch, which is why I can't watch cable news anymore. I just cannot do it. I can't stand it. can't stomach it. I'll read as much as I can to be informed enough to hopefully be able to pull off this show, but that's it for me. Uh, Charlie, last word to you, sir, before I take a break. Well, I... I, I Judging by what's happening there, I would say the only thing you can say about the United States now is it's a, the political system is totally split. It's a sick system anyway, and uh, I don't know how it's going to end, but I have to say it's uh, fascinating to watch. And yeah, listen. and then a call to arms, and then what happened in Ohio yesterday. Someone yeah. tried to get into the FBI office, and someone just outside Cincinnati, there was a chase, and then the consequently the gun person was killed. And someone sent me a note overnight, Charlie, I kid you not, saying that was a false flag. The FBI did it to themselves. That was an FBI agent who put his life on the line for whatever. I'm like, the people are broken. They're, I mean, there's there's a real sad sense to some of these reactions. Just imagine, false flag? What? Yeah. There was just a call to arms. Someone took it up, took you up on it, uh, end up getting killed as a result, and that was an FBI false flag. It's just remarkable. It's really quite, It's a, if it wasn't so sad, it'd be hilarious. Charlie, I got to run, but I appreciate your time. Okay, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we have, sir, heard from many, including, you know, Eddie Joyce as an independent, independent member called earlier in the program. The opposition also speaking out about what they see as this 20 cent per liter tax on some sugary drinks. There's still a lot of questions about exactly what it's going to be applied to. Lady just sent me an email. What about cranberry juice? I sent her the details I had. Retailers are asking for more information. They got to be prepared to implement this September 1 tax. They've got questions. Everyone's got questions. So does Tony Wakeham. He's in the queue. Don't go away. Oh, welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Say good morning to the PC member for Stephenville Port of Port. That's Tony Wakeham. Good morning, Tony. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, Patty. Before I get started on sugar tax, I do want to acknowledge the fact I heard on the news that the forest fires in Central are being called stable now. Uh, that's really good news to hear. I've heard my colleague, Cleon Forsey, on your show earlier talking about it, and of course, he's been keeping caucus up to date. But, you know, the next step, hopefully, is to get get them uh, under control, but that's really good news to hear that, and a big shout out to all the volunteers and all the people involved in, in fighting those fires. 100%. Uh, so the Provincial Force Fire Duty Officer, Jeff Motti, you can tell he's trying very carefully to parse his words, doesn't want to say too much, doesn't want to be too publicly optimistic, so when he says it's trending in the right direction or in a positive direction, and it's a bit more stabilized, and one of the fires has actually shrunk, this is all very good news. Mother Nature probably started, Mother Nature probably put it out in conjunction with the hard effort and the brave work being done by the firefighters. Absolutely. Patty, yesterday the Minister of Finance confirmed for us uh, what we thought, uh, that this is nothing more than a tax grab. 
this announcement, uh, you know, when it started out, and I find the irony here, you know, the Premier started out talking about behaviour modification. We all understand the serious challenges we have in this province with cardiac and with diabetes and all of those things, and we certainly, we all want people to consume less sugar. So the Premier talked about behaviour modification. And then the Minister of Finance talked about the idea that she hoped she wouldn't collect any money from this tax because people would have moved away from these drinks that she's putting this tax on. But right away from the uh, onset of the announcement, they talked about $9 million annually in revenue. (laughs) That's exactly my point. And all of a sudden, now yesterday, we find out that they're talking about a revenue stream coming in and they're going to use this revenue stream to fund programs like Kids Eat Smart and the school lunch program, programs that have been funded by government in the past, programs that are excellent programs, deserve to be funded, should be funded by government. But the idea that these programs, we need to put another tax on top of what we already have on people of the province to fund these programs, that's fundamentally wrong. Yeah, and intended to be a, a bankroll or backstop the physical activity tax credit. Remind me, because I you know, I try to recall what I hear and read and see in the House of Assembly, but wasn't a key part of the debate about creating new healthy lifestyle policies and programs versus uh, funding current ones? That was the uh, what was being told to us when this bill was introduced, that this is where the money was going to be used. Used. They were going to do use it for new initiatives. Now, I'm still opposed to tax because I think there's different ways for us to do this. You know, great programs, like you said, that, that $2,000 announcement when it was first made, we all thought that was wonderful because it would led to believe that somehow people may actually get $2,000, people that really need it, to enroll their children in, in some programs, only to find out after that you've got to spend $2,000 in order to be able to get back approximately $150 on your income tax. And very few people who really needed can't afford to pay that 2000 up front. Yeah, well, that's the issue with it for me. It's well-intentioned, but if I can't afford to pay the enrollment fee up front or the registration, this doesn't make it any more affordable at the end of the day. Just l- let me pick this a little further. Okay, tax grab, money grab, cash grab. That's what's coming at me nonstop. When we talk about making better decisions, some of it comes with labeling and awareness programs and education, but some of it also comes with price point because things like a syntax on cigarettes and alcohol. Now, it has seen some pragmatic positive steps in insofar as alcohol, pardon me, tobacco, maybe not so much with alcohol, certainly not in this province, but can there also be some real healthy lifestyle choice campaign associated with this sugary tax issue because look i get it once again conceptually it's sound but when we all revert to relying on a tax to help make better decisions we're just taking the easy way out i for some reason that's what always comes to mind when we're relying on a tax to help me make a decision that's exactly the point, Patty. You referred to earlier in your conversations to talk about labeling and the importance of that. We've seen the impact of that on the cigarette packages and the education. I, I heard Eddie Joyce on earlier in your program talking about in the schools, getting the kids educated on the impacts of this. And that's where it should be, the nutritionists. You know, if we really want people in our province to be healthier, then let's start by getting them access to primary care providers, to those uh, nutritionists, to those uh, diabetic nurses, to dietitians, to, to physicians, to nurse practitioners. 
and really focus on the education piece of this because the reality of it is an informed public is an educated public and that's where we're going to see the real benefits not simply by taking the easy way out and say we're going to tax you and therefore we want to change your behavior by taxing you and taking more money out of your pockets I don't believe that's the route to go. I truly believe that the real way to do this is to start in the classrooms and to start an education program and to help people make healthier choices and find ways to do that. Yeah, even when we speak to youth in school, I know it's up to parents as to whether or not they're going to buy the sugary cereal or the sugary drink or the processed food. But as a parent, I can tell you sometimes fighting the good fight is very taxing and very tiring and exhausting. So even with labeling, I'm going to go back to that because I think that's important. Even though that requires national movement, not just provincial movement, how much easier would it be as an individual to know what I'm buying? How much easier would it be as a parent to be able to look at my child and say, here's what's in this? As opposed to this option, let's do this, here's what it means. And because, you know, who knows as a child what different types of sugars and artificial fats and up and down the line, what it really means. Because you need, as I've said, you need a magnifying glass and you have to have a dictionary with you or a medical journal to be able to read a label if you're so inclined. If we made it easier to understand what we were buying, people might indeed just simply make better lifestyle choices because now we know what we're doing as opposed to I just like the taste of it. And it's a program now that they've launched that's, you know, obviously the implementation of it leaves a lot to be desired. Here we have the business community and others out there saying, we still have lots of questions and two weeks from now we're supposed to implement this. Sure. Yep. You know, that's another big part of this problem that government just seems to have decided they were going to do this without really doing and having the, the implementation strategy in place. And again, you know, at the end of the day, it's a tax. Uh, well, of course, and they even call it one. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we can call it a tariff. We can call it whatever you want. It's cash out of my pocket in addition to what I'm already paying. And someone made the point, well, the cost of a two-liter is around uh, what it was or less than what it was 20 years ago. It's not about that. It's about paying more. It doesn't matter what the fuss is about, whether you talk about it in terms of health or tax or choices. It, we're talking about paying more. People don't necessarily care what's behind paying more. They just know they're paying more. That's right. And if you want people, you know, when we talk about healthy lifestyles and, and drinking more water, well, we all know there's more than 200 communities that are on boil orders right now. Yeah. There's communities in my district that have no water. Sure, of course. And those are the important things that we should be focused on. If you're going to go down that health accord and talk about the social determinants of health, you know, that's one right there. Potable and wastewater, things you can't see until you miss them. And then, of course, we see the pictures, whether it be out in St. Bride's and it's black coming out of the tap and everywhere else that you refer to the almost 200 boil boil order advisories that are in play. Uh, More time for the news, Tony. Appreciate the call. Yes, Patty. And one more thing. I think if the minister wanted to make an announcement yesterday, she should have made an announcement of how people can apply for the home home heat rebate program that they announced back when the house was open that people have not heard a peep about since. They're asking me, and I don't know. No, absolutely. Not a word. I'd love to be able to help the listeners who send me emails saying, I'd really like to take advantage of this, and I'm telling them, I wish I could tell you, and I don't know. No, it's it's terrible that they haven't even 
even begun the application process. Yeah, I'll, I'll follow up on that too. Appreciate the time, Tony. Okay, thank Take you. Take care. Bye-bye. Tony Wakem is the PC member for Stephen Mill Port of Port, and he's the shadow minister of finance. Uh, you know, and someone also sent an email kind of ridiculing a retailer that said, I have questions. And one of the examples offered was, if I have one of these drinks in a gift basket, What's the implication? Is it for uh, simply the 20 cents on the liter of what's in it? Or because the basket was priced at a certain level, how do I apply the tax to it? That's not a stupid question. If they're in the gift basket business, then it's a gift basket question. If you're a retailer, whatever questions you have, it might sound fundamental to all of us to say, well, we just implement the change in our cash register and we're off to the races. Is it as simple as that? How do they deal with point-to-sell advertising? How do they come up with what they will indeed charge for the can or pop or the two-liter pop? Because it's not up to the government, it's up to them. So there's margins to be considered. There's the technological issues inside the registers, the very specific questions that need, they need answered. None of them are stupid. If that was my business and I had to put the tax in, I'd like to know how and why and where and what it actually means for all the very nitty-gritty case-by-case questions because if government's going to implement it, government's got to answer the question. Let's take a break. When we come back, lots of time left to speak with you. Don't go away. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back to the show. Just quick heads up for the motoring public. There's a shovel in the middle of the eastbound lane at the ramp for Avondale. This fella just passed it at 20 past 11, so likely the shovel is still in the way. Let's go. Line number three, Gail, you're on the air. Good morning, Mr. Daly. Hi, Gail. I'm calling now about the roads and where I live in Brooklyn, Bonavista Bay. I was talking to uh, Mr. Powers here when you were on holidays. And, um, of course, I was talking to the Department of um, Transportation in St. John's as well. And all oh, they told me they were going to call me back and something be done within sometime in August and stuff like this. So I still haven't seen anything. Now, by the way, I've been fighting for this for the last two years. Fighting for what in particular? Like, do you have one stretch road that's particularly yes. bad or is it just a pothole road? What are no. we fighting for? I wish it was only a paddle. Okay. No, <laughs> it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of holes. Like I mean, there while well, well, earlier part of the year they came and put some crushed stone in the holes, but I mean that's only while they put that down. The first truck or car went up, it was gone. So like I've been calling and like it's it's severe around here. I mean like for instance, people ruining tires, rims, and whatever the case may be. Like I don't understand what they do with their money from their taxes that they get from the gas. I mean I don't. See, well, two years I haven't seen no department of highways here in this, my community at all. Yeah, I mean, and there's no defense for the state of the roads, that's for sure. But we also know when we look, stand back, just how many areas are in such desperate need of road work and the road work season that's available to us. Because, again, I say this all the time, uh, people in your community are nodding your head. People on the road to Terranova, they're screaming at the radio. People on the road to Lucia, they're screaming at the radio. People on the road to Harbor Brecht are saying the same thing. So I don't know what we do or how we get ahead of it because it seems like we're chasing our tail with the road work or bridge work constantly well what i don't understand is when i called them last year like um at, like with the what was coming on spring you know, you know and the roads were terrible and of course they said to me oh you know we can't do nothing now because it's tom freeze what's your excuse now it's summer i mean it's not tom freeze now no absolutely not you're 100 percent right 
That's right. So, like, what do they do with their money that they collect from ours, or me and your taxes, from the, from the fuel, like the, the gas, whatever? Like, what do they do with that? I don't see no nothing around here. Well, gas tax was created for that specific reason, to do uh, road work, bridge work, and the like. We bring in way more gas tax than we spend annually on roads or bridges or anything else. So this year, I think the road work budget is in and around 80-odd million dollars. We bring in in excess of $300 million in gas tax. So we're not spending near as much gas tax on roads as we actually collect. So absolutely. That's what I'm saying, because I know it was two really bad spots here. Okay. Um, uh, what you call it on the main drag, which is like you leave the, the highway, going to Bonavista, you branch off, you come down where I live. It's two places there, and it was tremendously really bad. So I don't know if it was the Department of Highways did it, or if it was some kind of construction uh, contractor came in and then. I can't say, because I don't really know. But whoever done it, they didn't do a good job. <laughs> and that's all we care about is a good job. That's right. And, I mean, you go in one of the holes now that was bad, you just got to crawl over it because it's not you're banging the front end off your car. Sure. Yeah. And like I told him, I said, look, I mean, if I had old junk from go to A to B, that's fine. But, I mean, my car is over $50,000. And, I mean, supposing you've got a $100,000 rig beating it up, the bill is the bill. And when we yeah. talk about people out there who are dodging potholes, then we bring safety into it. We simply do. I mean, you might be going along so fast and say it's on a rainy day and the pothole is filled with water. You don't necessarily know because you're not familiar with the territory. You're going 80, 90, 100 kilometers an hour. You blow a tire. There's a couple of outcomes that put you in the ditch. So there's a lot of safety concerns with road conditions as well. Well, I'll tell you, Patty, before I let you go, and uh, where you branch off, like I said, from the highway, you come down this way. Well, there's a, a pothole there, and I mean a snow size hole by the, the fire department. And everybody was putting their coffee cups in the hole. And when the rain, the coffee cups were floating. Like, I mean, this is not called for. And I don't know where to turn. I'm sick and tired of calling them, honestly. And they'll say, okay, I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. They don't do nothing. And if you call Department of Highways, Depot, you don't get nobody there and you can't even left a message. And, and that's the frustration that gets added to the pile is when you've got a concern and you try to contact someone and you go through the menu of press one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and you don't get the call back. Sometimes, and I say this uh, a lot, is sometimes we, if you don't get the answer you want, at least you got an answer. It's just a little bit better when dealing with people's worries or their fears or their frustrations. I might not have the answer you want, but I'm going to give you an answer if I can. But sometimes government doesn't do a very good job of that. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if people listen to VOCM Oakline in the mornings, they would know. I mean, I was listening to him a while ago there. I don't know if you were on holidays. I think you were at the time. Just a man came here. I'm not sure. It wasn't from Ontario, I don't think. I think he was from somewhere else. And he even spoke about the roads, how bad they were. And he said that Newfoundlanders should be ashamed of themselves. It's not Newfoundlanders. It's the government. I got nothing to do with the roads. No, I don't either. <laughs> I wish I did. But like I said, where do I turn? I'm not getting any answers. This is what they're being paid for to answer my questions. You're not doing it. I appreciate the time, Gail. Thank you. Thank you. Take Thank care. You. All right, bye-bye. D- uh, David, will I get the break here before we get an update? Okay, let's take a very quick break. Last break of the morning and the week. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's get an update on the ongoing issues surrounding the fires in Central. Join us on line number 10 is the Liberal member for Fogo Island, Cape Friels. He's the Minister of Fisheries, Forestry, and Agriculture. That's Derek Bragg. Minister Bragg, you're on the air. 
Good morning, Patty, and thanks for taking my call. Happy to do so. What's the update? Well, the update, first, I guess, Patty, I want to give a big shout-out to the many people that are working on the ground and in here and beyond the scenes for this fire. This is a fire in the last two weeks we saw ramp up. Uh, it was considered out of control for the last number of days, still out of control today, but it's not burning with the same intensity. And the reason uh, people may question why it's still out of control when you don't see the flame, because we have hundreds of little hot spots. We have, the, we have ground crews, we have the helicopter working out with the bucket, we have the water tankers. If they're not in the air right now, they'll be in the air if, if conditions warrant later today uh, that are attacking any of these hot spots. Uh, we're asking people to stay away from the cabin area because we have an active firefighting operation on the go. Water tankers, they will not drop if they see there's sign of someone in around the cabin. So while we're trying to protect the cabin areas and, and a lot of other things, if, if someone in, uh, goes into that area, our pilots will walk, well, well not walk away, they'll fly out of the area until it's deemed safe again. So we're asking everybody to, to stay away. But I can't say enough about our grounds crew, our air crew, our people at the operations center, helicopter pilots, Maxims camp, ground search and rescue, Everyone has played such a great part in this, and I can't thank anybody, everybody enough for the actions taken so far, Patty. So with the branch roads are off to cabin country, you know, as opposed to hoping people will abide by the request to stay away, can we just block those roads off, make them impassable while we try to deal with the fire? Well, we're, so we need to access these roads because we have ground crews. We may have ground crews that would put sprinklers around because, as you know, so lots of times there's cabins. There may be a nest of cabins. There may be like 10, 15, 20 cabins in an area, and then you may have single cabins. So if there's a threat, like we'll have a crew that needs to get in there fast. Uh, ground search and rescue has been really good. They've had a lot of these roads blocked off. It was actually easy to do while we while the Arbor, uh, Beta Sphere Highway was closed because access was taken away from a of points but now like we're monitoring the access i know the police are monitoring the highway and we're just encouraging people to stay away um the other thing we're going to do patty there was a there was a small number of cabins that have been affected by the fire and i know our crown lands people are, are in the process right now of uh, finding out who these cabin owners are and contacting them so hopefully in the next couple of days we will be reaching out to the cabin owners that have been affected but it's nowhere near the extent that we anticipate Anticipated uh, about seven days ago, uh, when the flames were basically licking the sky, like we were, we thought we would lose in excess of 200 cabins. We anticipated, like, if worst case scenario, this fire would have would have ran 10 kilometers if conditions were right. But thanks to the water bombers uh, that that attacked the, the leading edge of that towards Grand Falls and and Botwood area, that and, and Bishop Falls area, that they knocked that down, and that day actually made the difference to to the story this fire will tell. Like it's, it was amazing the work they did, and and I can't thank them enough. We have air supporting from Quebec, and they have what they call two bird dogs, which fly above the formation of of the uh, water bombers, and uh, they look like a water wheel. They just scoop, dump, scoop, dump, and it's just one after the other. So what's the status of the current state of emergency that's in place all the way, extended all the way to Botwood? So the state of emergency that would be under the Department of Justice, and I would encourage you to read 
reach out to Minister Ogan. Yeah, we had him on earlier this morning. I just wondered if you had an update on okay, where no, we are. Okay, no, I haven't had him. I haven't had a, had a call since I had a couple of earlier meetings for my staff. And then I want to, like I said before, I just, I just want to reach out and thank the people that work so hard. Like uh, Patty, we we stopped down on a crew a couple of days ago, and he came out and he had goggles on, so you could see their eyes were pretty white, but the rest of their face, like they were just covering soot and dirt, and it's just strenuous labor that they're doing there. They're carrying down O's packs on their back, like 60 pounds, and a portable pump, and then they're dragging O's up through, up through burnovers. It's it's a filthy, dirty job, and they're to be commended for the work they are doing on the ground. Uh, absolutely, and we're glad there's been no uh, cabins, and the fire didn't make it closer to the highly populated communities, and hopefully all the firefighters and all the technicians and pilots are all safe as they get through this. Obviously, they've done yeoman's work. It was touch and go when the, the two big fires looked like they might merge, which would have created a much different uh, scenario on the ground. But appreciate the update this morning, Minister Bragg. Thank no you. No worries. Thank you for taking my call. You have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, before we run out of time, so, you know, things like mixed-race marriages, a Jewish person married to an Arabic person. It's one thing today where the world hopefully has modernized to the point where it's becoming more and more widely accepted. Try to think back to how it would have been received in the 20s and 30s here in St. John's. Join us on line number two is author David Michael. Good morning, David. You're on the air. Hey, Patty. How are you doing this morning? I'm Grant. How about you? No, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm down here for um, uh, for launching my book, Love Will Out. And as you just mentioned there, it's based on uh, my parents' uh, love story back in the 1920s here in St. John's. Uh, my mother was Jewish and my father was a Christian Maronite Lebanese. So it's a very unusual story, especially back in the 1920s. And uh, so I think it's a it's a story that uh, kind of will resonate a lot here today because, um, like my Polish um, uh, Jewish grandfather, he was escaping uh, the Russians in Poland, just like the poor Ukrainians are having today, what they're putting up with. So it's um, it's kind of a flashback to that time. And my other grandparents came over from Lebanon and uh, facing persecution but slightly different so it's uh it's, it takes place around the uh, the harbor here in st john's the old uh, uh, wooden pairs and the the nightlife and the all the different sailors from all over the world french and uh portuguese and russians and all kinds of stuff it's a world i grew up in a generation after my parents obviously i mean in that era if a catholic married a protestant you get sideways looks what was it like for your parents give us some idea about how they were uh, looked at spoken to or spoken about well you know the um my lebanese parents uh, were um, lived on uh, nogar street nogar street was a very uh, heavily um populated with uh, with lebanese and most people wouldn't know that that word even existed but uh, we, along with the Chinese, um, kind of uh, were on, on Nugaur Street. And there's a monument for that, actually, just down on Nugaur Street itself about the Chinese. Yeah. And we, uh, we really were, um, I, I mean, a lot of names, a lot of prejudices, you know, kind of, but a lot of good as well, you know. But uh, we had to kind of, because we were different, they called us a lot of names and, um, you know, dirty tallies and all kinds, all kinds of stuff that you don't want to hear. But uh, we pushed on through, you know, I had my Jewish family, I had my Lebanese family, and I also had my St. John's family. So it was not a life that most people kind of lived. So it was very unusual. But, um, you know, I pushed through and persevered. <laughs> well, and that was the need when you had anything that was the standard 
white man, white woman, Catholic, Catholic, Protestant, Protestant, whatever the case may be, the world learned a lot and it took a seismic shift in how people thought and how they accepted each other based on even the fundamentals of who loved who. Uh, Give us the details, David, where and when the launch. The launch is um, tomorrow night at the Masonic and uh, the doors open about 7 and uh, they'll be, the mayor will be there. So people can meet a few people there. My cousin Lorraine Michael has some of her um, uh, NDP friends kind of coming as well. So uh, we're going to have quite a turnout. And there's no admission or anything. Just come in and have some fun and uh, buy a book. That's it. Good luck with it, David. Thanks for the time. Thank you, Pat. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. That's author David Michael. Love will out. Okay. Uh, Good show. Good week of shows. Big thanks to everyone who supports the program. And you know it. We will indeed pick up this conversation again on Monday morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy weekend. Talk Monday. Bye-bye.